All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells. In today's episode, we will be recapping NFL Super Wild Card Weekend, six matchups. We'll break down each of them. We'll talk about the teams that moved on. We'll talk about implications for some of the teams that lost, including my Pittsburgh Steelers. And we'll look ahead to the matchups this weekend in the divisional round. We'll also do a little NHL season preview with the 2021 season finally set to have its first puck drop on Wednesday, January 13th. Uh, We'll give some of our thoughts on this season's 56-game format and some of our predictions. Finally, uh, as part of the NFL wildcard weekend expansion, the league broadcasts the New Orleans Saints victory over the Chicago Bears on both CBS and Nickelodeon. We got to see uh, a lot of slime in that one, as well as some references to some of our favorite childhood shows. So in honor of that game, Brian and I will be counting down our favorite Nickelodeon shows in today's top five. So with that, let's get started. Just you and me this episode. We uh, we were joined by Ben in our last episode. You know, I think at this point we're we're well into the um, NFL playoffs, having already played the wild card weekend round games. But uh, you know, if you do want to go back and listen to that one, we we did talk a little bit about other football stuff, mainly our top five. But we'll uh, we'll continue the NFL talk and we'll we'll jump into that. We had NFL Super Wild Card Weekend, six games. And, uh, Brian, I'm actually going to throw this over to you to kind of take on my role and kind of lead us into this, uh, starting, you know, with the AFC and, uh, our first game there. Yeah. So to lead us off with the AFC recap, uh, we're going to talk about your Pittsburgh Steelers blowing it on Sunday night football versus the Cleveland Browns in a in my opinion, and probably your opinion as well, a pretty big upset. And I, in my opinion, I think the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Steelers were the most disappointing team this weekend. And uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well. If you agreed with me as I'd, I'd imagine you'd agree with me as well. I I still can't comprehend what happened. I mean, at this point, it's been forty eight hours almost when we're recording, and. I'm still at a loss for everything that played out on Sunday night. And I mean, the Steelers, not even just under Mike Tomlin, like going back, they, they've had some pretty bad losses, but I think that this is the ugliest, most embarrassing playoff loss in Pittsburgh Steelers history. I mean, to, to go into a game and fall behind 28 to nothing in the first quarter to a team 
not just the Cleveland Browns, not even just that it's this is their first playoff win and I don't know, 25 years, whatever, their first time in it since we were in second grade or whatever it was. Like the fact that they lost to a team that practiced twice a week, did not have a head coach available for this one because of COVID complications within the team to the point where so many people were saying that this game shouldn't have even been played on Sunday night, that that was too early because the Browns were at such an unfair disadvantage that the Steelers would just run all over them because of that. There's no way that Cleveland could come out and win this game. And for the Steelers to fall behind 28 to nothing, I I just, I I can't, (laughs) I can't comprehend what happened. Like the, the, it wasn't even just like the offense starting out slow. Like that's, that's, that wasn't a surprise to me because that was the theme of the final six games of the season when the offense just whatever happened, defenses were able to figure it out. Ben Roethlisberger just sitting in the pocket for two seconds before throwing it to whoever was just not working. Like they didn't have a running game. Like they, that part wasn't surprising to me, but for the first play of the game, you're, Pro Bowl center to snap it way over Ben Roethlisberger's head and have the ball roll all the way into the end zone with James Conner and Ben not even trying to dive on it. From that point, it was like, oh, no. And then things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And by the time things finally got better, like Mike Tomlin punting the ball on when it's a 12-point game, you're roaring all the way back. You have all this momentum. Like this idea is like, oh, the Browns are going to Browns. Like this is it to punt right at the start of the fourth quarter from midfield. Like it was just, just a comedy of errors and like all this disaster that could happen. And on the defensive side of the ball, like the defense is supposed to be the pride and joy of this team. Like even without Devin Bush and Bud Dupree, they're still considered one of the best defenses in the league and to have your worst performance of the season. No sacks, no turnovers when the Browns are down multiple offensive linemen, losing guys left and right. You're just getting ran over from start to finish. I, I, I don't understand how that happened. I wasn't overly confident in the Steelers. I recognized that there was no reason to. When you lose to the Bengals, you can lose to anybody. But to have have the season end like that after that start, and uh, it's it, it just, I'm, I'm at a loss. I really am. You know when there are big games like this, people always ask in the media, did this team win it or did this team lose it? I think that was all Pittsburgh just crapping themselves in that game I it's a credit to the Browns for playing mistake-free football but for the most part but uh, it's mostly on Pittsburgh uh and their egregious turnovers in that game starting right from the start I didn't even see the first play I missed I was just about to turn on the TV and or change the channel to to the football game and then I then I realized like why is it already seven nothing what 10 seconds in the game and then I had to look it up and it was a a bad snap by Pouncey, kind of similar to the Super Bowl Forty Eight start when the yeah, Broncos that, I mean, that's center immediately what it reminded me of. Yeah, it, it, like, it right over Peyton Manning's head, and then from there it was just downhill, kind of similar uh, to Pittsburgh. Uh, well, they at least made a comeback in that game, but like you said, the Tomlin decision to punt. Uh, there are a lot of egregious coaching decisions this weekend. I think that was the worst one of all of them. The the punt going punting on. Uh, on fourth down, down twelve. When you're, you 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 got Cleveland, uh, right at the right right there, <laughs> and you're about to catch up, and then all of a sudden you decide to punt, and then Chubb goes for that touchdown uh, on the Browns' offensive drive, and uh, 
this was the one game where I'm I, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't see this coming. I mean, I know I talked a lot about how the Steelers match up pretty well with the Browns, and I know they were trending late down of late in the season, and I knew that they weren't this juggernaut that was going to go 16 and 0, and I'm glad they didn't. But uh, I I still thought. Week 16, coming back in the second half versus Indy and resting some big key players in Week 17, I thought that that would uh, give the Steelers uh, some hope and going in the right direction. But uh, there was a lot of a li- I think the Steelers kind of hyped themselves a little bit too much too much this uh, late in the season with guys like Chase Claypool saying losing, never heard of her on Twitter, and then Juju with all of his dancing during game. Uh, before games and like on the logo with this TikTok stuff and I I don't know I think the Steelers just kind of bought into the the hype a little bit too much and it kind of caught up to them and uh, and and, uh, and then of course they just were just terrible this on Sunday. Yeah, I mean those guys definitely put a target on the team's back. Juju in particular, of course, the, all the talks from the the Bills before their game, and then the Bengals before that one, and we saw how that played out for the offense, and particularly Juju in the Cincinnati game. Uh, I really don't think that some of those comments, like the media was running with the whole like nameless gray faces, the Browns is the Browns comments from Juju. I really don't think that the Browns needed any kind of motivation. They're playing their first playoff game in 18 years. Like if you need your that, opponent. That's enough, to, that's enough motivation. Yeah. You don't need bulletin board material to, to win that game. Like I, I don't think that those are as big of a deal, but I, I mean the, the, Everything just playing out like that, like you said, like this was a matchup where everything should have been in Pittsburgh's favor, even with the way they were playing. The fact that the Browns, like their their offensive passing attack was so much built around having play action success. And the Steelers were great at defending play action all season. And the Browns didn't even need play action to beat them. They were just like the Steelers just leaving guys wide open, putting linebackers on Jarvis Landry, who is one of the better slot receivers in the entire league, not getting to Baker Mayfield, which like is not even just about not having Bud Dupree or even Alex Highsmith going down because TJ Watt was in Pittsburgh last week when they played week 17 in Cleveland and the Steelers still had four sacks on Baker Mayfield. Like I said, with the Browns being down Joel Batonio because of COVID, like he's probably their best offensive lineman. They lost Jack Conklin early in this one and it didn't matter. The the Steelers defense was just getting bullied. And the the biggest reason why the Steelers lost was because of the, the turnover margin and Big Ben just throwing really bad interceptions in that game. But the, I think the second biggest reason why the the Browns won this game was because of their offensive line. Their offensive line is a wall, a brick wall. And even though they they missed guys like, like you said, Joe Batonio, and uh, they lost uh, Conklin in the middle of that game, there's still a great still a great offensive line. Like you said, they they bullied the Steelers defensive line, and which is weird because. The Steelers are, like you said, I think for the most part, they've been one of the better defenses uh, this year. But in this game, they generated a 13.9% pressure rate, which was actually their lowest of their the entire year. And yeah, that's a credit was, to the, 
It's a credit to the Browns' offensive line. Yeah, I mean, the, the Browns' offensive line was their downfall last season. Everyone was talking about all the weapons they added, but their offensive line was terrible, and that was why Cleveland went 6-10. and 10. And they invested resources in the offensive line this year, signing Jack Conklin to a big deal in free agency, drafting uh, Jedrick Wills Jr. in the first round. And Wyatt Teller and Joel Petonio both came in, and they both had phenomenal seasons. They are both second-team All-Pro, and... The Browns' offensive line, great credit to them. But that being said, they allowed eight sacks in two regular season games to the Steelers. I don't understand how the Steelers couldn't figure it out in this one, especially with all the injuries that Cleveland dealt with on the offensive line. And, uh, you know, you made that point about Ben Rosberger, you know, having those turnovers, four interceptions. He threw for 500 yards and four touchdowns in this game. Like, all that talk about how Rosberger can't throw the ball downfield and, uh, like, he's a shell of himself. And I get that Cleveland was basically playing a prevent defense for most of the final three quarters after jumping out to that big lead. But he was still able to take advantage of that. He was still using all the weapons he has at wide receiver to the full advantage. And he got the Steelers back into the game. And it's just it's just crazy to, like, look at some of those stats and st- realize that the Steelers lost this one because of all the ways that Pittsburgh could have lost I never could have imagined the Browns scoring 48 points and and winning this one what do you think their plan the Steelers plan should be this offseason at quarterback do you think it should stick with Ben or do you think they should go to Rudolph or draft somebody or trade for somebody I mean that that's the next big question because Ben Rosberger throughout the season He's not the showed he's not the guy that he used to be. He's not he's well past his prime. His career is much closer to being done than maybe we had hoped for as Steelers fans coming into this season. Uh, but it's like I I think that the big thing with Roethlisberger is not even as much as play because the team went twelve and four. The offense wasn't amazing running the football. They had its shortcomings down the stretch, but the team was still won enough games early on. But Ben has a $41 million cap hit. That's the largest cap hit of any player in the NFL next season. And that's what it's going to come down to because as much as I don't want Ben Roethlisberger's final game with the Steelers to be a home playoff loss to the Cleveland Browns, I don't know that the Steelers can be contenders with him on that contract because there's going to be sacrifices to both sides of the football you're gonna lose Juju Smith-Schuster on offense but you're also probably gonna lose Bud Dupree on defense you have two of your your backup like number three and four corners Mike Hilton and Cam Sutton are free agents Joe Hayden's gonna be another year older so I don't think that the Steelers defense can afford to lose those guys and I mean when I don't know I I kind of hope he retires as much as I hate to say that just so the Steelers don't have to cut him to be able to move on from him because as much as it sucks that this is probably the end, not everyone goes out with a storybook ending. Most guys don't like, I know his idol is John Elway. He went out with two Super Bowl wins, but the reality is most guys don't go out on top like that. Dan Marino, his last playoff game, a 62 to seven loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like that. And that's, that's more common than not. So I think the reality is Pittsburgh's got to find a way to not have a $41 million cap hit for Ben Roethlisberger. And the easiest way to do that is if he's not on the team at all. And from there, I mean, Mason Rudolph, he's not a franchise quarterback, but I think he showed enough in the Cleveland game this year to be maybe optimistic that with a great defense, he can 
do something. He can at least get the Steelers to be playoff contenders. And, uh, you know, maybe you go out and sign a guy like Jameis Winston or even Dwayne Haskins. Give him a chance and bring someone in to compete with Rudolph and see if you can strike gold. And worst case scenario, the 2022 draft, you look for a quarterback. Because the Steelers, the number one priority and the number two priority, which kind of go hand in hand, and one thing is improving the running game, is the draft should be focused on the offensive line and the running back position because the Steelers had the 32nd ranked rushing attack. And a lot of that was because the offensive line is just too old. It's too beat up. There are reports Marquise Pouncey is likely to retire. Alondra Villanueva is a free agent. The Steelers are not going to be retaining him. So to me, I think Pittsburgh should be focused on investing their draft resources on improving the running game, improving the offensive line. And if, they find they strike gold with a quarterback somehow. I, I would great. Yeah, but. I would I would focus on the offensive line, the running game, and not in the first round, but uh, in the later rounds for for a running game. Second or but, third round, I think is yeah. a deal. Because so, here, would you kind of agree with the statement if the Steelers had a running back like Nick Chubb or Alvin Kamara or Derrick Henry, like one of those just game changing running backs? They would have been favorites to win the Super Bowl, just given how great their defense was. And like if they had a competent rushing attack to go with the receivers, like Juju Smith Schuster, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, like maybe you're not ahead of Kansas City, but like (laughs) you know, at at the very least, in in the mix, in the mix more. Yeah, and like that's like to be able to actually compete with those teams, like that. That was what this Pittsburgh team was missing. Yeah, I I I would say that, and not losing some key players on defense as well yeah but even then like i would think that having a rushing attack could make up for those defensive losses like you don't need an elite defense like you did in 2019 to win games you just need a really good defense uh and i I think that's that's a big thing is like you can't just bank on the defense being healthy because this season it was devin bush and bud dupree next season could be tj watt or minka fitzpatrick and i think that's something that you have to prepare for and uh the key to that is having a lot of depth and balance on both sides of the ball and I think that the the offense, the rushing attack needs to be the priority, and that's that's the only I, way I the mean, Steelers are going to be able it, to win. Next, I think season. The, the I think their running game was good for the first half of the season, but it then started the out really half, good. Yeah, the second half it was non-existent. No, and I I think that that I mean that was ultimately the downfall. The Steelers couldn't run the ball, and teams just did what they could to prevent the short passing game from working. And I mean, Randy Feekner is another thing; he has to go. The, the Steelers need a a real offensive coordinator to come in. And make you mean like Todd of, Haley? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. He's a downgrade to Randy Feekner. Like, I, I, I hope it, he doesn't come back. But I, I think that Tomlin needs to just find an external hire. And if Feekner going means Ben's gone, then sorry, Ben. Like, you, you can't have everything handed to you at this point because you're not the same quarterback who led this team to two Super Bowl wins, a third Super Bowl appearance 10 years ago. I mean, it. And, and, and Tomlin is another one where it's like you, you just have to like think at what point is it like is his job security actually become a thing because this is a kind of loss that like if he's not going to get fired from he's probably never going to be fired by the Steelers but the reality is Pittsburgh is three and six since going to Super Bowl 45 against the Packers that's as many playoff wins in the last 10 years as the Pirates have <laughs> wow that's bad yeah and you know, the Denver Broncos, Tim Tebow loss, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Blake Bortles loss, and now the, the Cleveland Browns COVID loss. So those are three of those six losses just in horrific fashion. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not 
optimistic about the the future at this point. I need to see a lot of changes happen. And if the Steelers try to bring back this same team that they have, I mean, the cap space issue basically means all the free agents are gone if you're going to retain Ben at what he's worth. I, I don't know that I can see this team contending for anything more than maybe one of the, the final playoff spots in the AFC. And even that's assuming that Ben doesn't just completely fall off a cliff. So, all right. I think with that, do let's you want me move. to do you want me to start off like each section or just no? Just, I can I can one. go from there. I just okay. I, I needed you to kind of introduce that before I, <laughs> I, I know got what you too mean. far into it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Let's let's move on to our next game and let's let's stick with the AFC North. The Baltimore Ravens defeat the Tennessee Titans, and. This game was all about Lamar Jackson. Uh, of course, his first two playoff games did not go well. Uh, both losses, including last year, to this same Tennessee Titans team that he beat. He avenges that loss. He gets that first playoff win. And he does it coming back from down 10 nothing. Uh, his first victory when trailing by 10 points in a game. Like This was all about Lamar just getting over those boogeymans and doing things that a lot of people question. Would he be able to do that? I mean, honestly, I'm I wasn't actually super impressed with Lamar outside of that one run where he scored a touchdown from forty midfield. Yards. Yeah, yeah. Outside of that play, I actually wasn't super impressed with him. I, 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 he got it over the hump. He got his first playoff win. I think the story of this game was the Ravens' defense uh, limiting Derrick Henry to to forty rushing yards because the last two times they played him, Derrick Henry has killed the Ravens and. That wasn't this the case this time, and I think the Ravens stopping Derrick Henry really forced uh, the Titans to uh, put the ball in Tannehill's hands. And I know Tannehill's been great this year, but I I don't I think he was just average in this game. And I think I think the story of the game was the Ravens' defense, but that's just that's just me. You know, I, I think that is that's fair because I, I think in terms of the headliners, everything is about Lamar Jackson and. I, 17 for 24, 176 yards and a pick. Not great passing numbers. He did have that huge 48-yard rushing touchdown. And, you know, him being the winning quarterback is is going to be the big story. But I, I do agree with you in the sense that the Ravens defense deserves a ton of credit. Because that first quarter, Ryan Tannehill threw. And, and so they went three and out on the first drive. The next two drives, he threw for 105 yards on those two drives. And the rest of the way... He was held to just 60 passing yards. And like you said, Derrick Henry, 18 carries for 40 yards. He ran all over them last year. That, that was another big part of the story. It wasn't even just Lamar Jackson's failures. It was the Ravens' defense failures to contain Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill got off to a great start. And I don't know what the Ravens did, but they they figured it out. They forced him into some bad throws. And it, that, that's a game where I mean, if Baltimore's defense continues to play like that against some tough competition in the AFC, then uh, they absolutely have a great chance of continuing to advance further into the playoffs. The one thing that I didn't like about this game, it was kind of similar to uh, the Brown Steelers, where the the Browns were used the bullet bulletin board material of the oh the Browns is the Browns will be the Browns or the Browns is the Browns, whatever Juju said. In this game, it was the the stupid logo turf thing at the end of the once Marcus Peters made that interception, the the Ravens players decide to go on the field and stomp on the logo. The game's not over yet. <laughs> I mean, that it just shows you that that the Ravens they definitely took some time to choreograph what they're gonna do if they win the game by stomping on the logo and then and then Lamar 
that this is another thing that I didn't like about Lamar's performance is the at the end of the game after he clinched it on that on that run they decided oh we're not going to shake hands I don't know I just I, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a big Ravens guy I hate the Ravens and uh, I just I I'm going to root for them to lose uh, next weekend and I just I think I feel like they're sort of front runners and uh, I don't know I don't I want to hear your thoughts I guess I mean I think that that's all fair to say Ravens Titans is becoming a big rivalry of course that was those are antics that Tennessee did to Baltimore when they played in Week 11 uh, in in the Ravens home and the Ravens were able to kind of get their own revenge with their own dancing and stuff and yeah I mean that's I think that's what the the reality of this is is that these two teams don't like each other and. Uh, I think it's fair to criticize Lamar for running off the field and the Ravens defense for dancing all before the game was officially over. Uh, but th- there's a lot of emotion that went into this one for that Baltimore team. And I'm sure that Tennessee would have kind of had similar reactions. Like there was some pregame stuff in this one, just like there was some pregame stuff in the last one. Uh, I agree with you that I, I don't like the Ravens at all. Like they, to me, like they're my favorite of the Steelers AFC North rivals. They're the team I respect the most. But I don't want to see them win the Super Bowl. I don't want to see them to continue to go far in the playoffs. I was absolutely rooting for Tennessee to win this one, and I will be continuing to root against Baltimore, at least in the next round. But, uh, I mean, I, I totally understand why they did this, and I, I would not expect Tennessee to have acted very differently had they been on That's the other side point. of it. Right. So, um, and I, you know, I, I think that uh, when you look at Tennessee moving forward, like this probably isn't Derrick Henry's last game as a Titan, but he is going to be a free agent. Do you think that the Titans are going to pay him money? Should they pay him to this point? Or do you think it makes sense to put him on the franchise sack for another year? I'm not sure. Cause I'm, I'm mostly against paying running backs. Uh, the only ones that I would make a case for are McCaffrey and Kamara because they are so involved in the past game. But he was really good this year. He had over 2,000 rushing yards, and he's a huge part of the offense. I think if they were to lose him, I think Tannehill... And again, I, I, I know you like Tannehill more than I do, but I do think he was was really good this year, I'll, I, I'll admit. But I think he would be affected like any other quarterback would if if a guy like Derrick Henry were to go elsewhere and if they, weren't, if they didn't pay him. Uh, I don't know. I think that one's tough. I think... I would try to, yeah, maybe franchise them, but I, I don't know. I guess I hear your thoughts as well on that. Yeah, one. I mean, I, I, I don't know if if Derrick Henry can be paid because he's he's he ran for two thousand yards, but he's got. It feels like all that wear and tear is going to add up sooner than later. That's something that we've seen with plenty of running backs in the past who well, are as like involved Le'Veon as he and is. Demarco Murray. Yeah, so they're yeah. they're definitely. A lot of examples. Oh, and Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, he, <laughs> I of. mean, Ben and I talked about uh, Derrick Henry and Ezekiel Elliott on his uh, affable chat Twitch stream last Tuesday. He's, which he has a which, stream every Tuesday. We decided to do an NFL theme one, uh, just given the the playoffs and his appearance here. And you can go back and watch that talk on YouTube. And uh, I think that it was one is a difficult thing to talk about comparing Henry to Zeke. And part of the reason was because Henry got off to such a slow start to his career and now he's really putting it together his past couple seasons with Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback so I feel like these two guys kind of go hand in hand if I'm the Titans I'm not letting Henry walk I'm at least putting a franchise tag on and then figuring out negotiations later but 
I don't know if Henry is a guy that you can give like a four or five year contract extension to because I don't think he has four or five years left in him playing at an elite running back level. Yeah, I, I if I had to pick one or the other, I, I would if, if in terms of giving him a huge contract or letting him go, I would I would lean letting him go and trying to find the next guy. But I would also realize that it will it will hurt in the short term. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be a big decision for Tennessee. It's one of those things where you can continue to kind of you know kick things down the road for at least another season, but it is going to get to the point where the Titans are going to have to figure out, okay, is Derrick Henry going to be someone that we want to commit to long-term and hope that he's the one running back who finally pans out, or are we going to try to cut our losses sooner than later, even if it means letting one of the premier running backs leave uh, while he has still something left in him? So... Um, any last thoughts on this game? Nope. Oh, okay. So let's uh, move on to our final AFC playoff matchup from wildcard weekend. And that is the Buffalo bills defeating the Indianapolis Colts. They win a playoff game uh, like the Cleveland Browns for the first time in 25 years. And this is a game where the Colts really uh, kept themselves in it and probably had a much better chance of winning this one had they not made a few questionable decisions in the first half that let Buffalo take the lead. And, uh, you know, this is a game where I think that it really could have gone a a different way if it wasn't for some of those early Frank Reich decisions. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think the Colts outplayed the Bills in this game, but I think they also made more mistakes in this game, which cost them the win. And I think that sequence, that two-minute sequence in the end of the first half is what cost them. Uh, I And that fourth down call, there, Frank Reich is definitely getting some criticism for that. That's not actually the, the play that I'm criticizing him for. Uh, I kind of give him more criticism for the play before that, where it's third and goal at the one, and it's this shuffle pass to Taylor uh, to the left, and uh, and the Bills read it perfectly, and I just... I feel like they could have ran a little bit better play. Even just running straight up the middle would have been a little would have been smart because they wouldn't have lost yardage, which caused them to. Even though it's fourth and goal, it's it's re- it's really like fourth and three or fourth and four. And and Rivers also didn't throw an accurate ball on that. And and then the the play that really uh, <laughs> that really pissed me off. If I were a Colts fan, was that uh, the Colts linebacker uh, linebacker who drew offsides uh, on third on third down when the bills were clearly just trying to just draw, draw the other team off sides. And it was just a dumb play, but dumb play by the Colts. And that was on cost- the ensuing Buffalo drive, right? Yeah. That was on the ensuing Buffalo drive. Uh, when Buffalo got to pass midfield and there was like a minute, a minute left in the half. So like, yeah, that entire sequence was basically the turning point of that game. And, and also, yeah, even if you don't criticize Frank Reich for that decision to go on fourth down, to go for two when you could just easily go for the extra point. Now, I know it didn't cost them because they went for two again and they got it. It was still dumb to go for two in that at that point because you're down. I think it was by a touchdown or 10 points and just it made no sense to me I, I to go for two when, when it was really unnecessary. So, yeah, he, he made some pretty questionable coaching decisions in that game. Okay, so I think in terms of the um, the end of the first half stuff, like like you said, the Colts were totally outplaying the Bills. You just looked at all the stats. You would say Indianapolis is winning. They they had the lead in time of possession, yards gained, you know everything. 
yet on the scoreboard. They were down 14 to 10 at the half. And if the Colts did end up kicking a field goal there on fourth and goal from the four yard line, they go up 17 to seven and Buffalo still might've gone down the field and scored a touchdown and made it 17 to 14. But there are little things. The like momentum the, was clearly shifting to Buffalo. At yeah. That point. Yeah. And like having that, uh, you know, the, the Colts linebacker jump off sides. Like there's just like a lot of little things that, that had to go wrong for the Colts there and just made it. So you're going into the half where you feel like you outplayed the team yet. You're losing on the scoreboard. Um, in terms of Reich's decision to go for two though, that's what the analytics say is go for two. And the way it played out is exactly why you do it because there's about a 50, 50 chance of you converting a two point conversion. So in all likelihood, if you miss it the first time, you're going to get it the second time. So you're still going to end up with 14 points anyway. Whereas the extra points, especially now that it's not a 100%, you know, 99% chance is more like a 95% because of they them backing up um, to the 15 instead of kicking it from the two. In that case, all you're doing is you're guaranteeing yourself you're playing for a tie by kicking two extra points. Whereas if you go for two the first time and get it, a touchdown and extra point gives you the lead. Or I guess in this case with Buffalo, it would have made it a two-point game. So a field goal gives you a win instead of a tie. So that that's the analytics behind it. Um, and it's something where I think a lot of people still kind of criticize it. They still don't necessarily see it that way. But that that's the reason why uh, you see a lot of teams go for two when they're down by you know 14 and score to cut it to, to six instead of leaving it at seven. Um. But yeah, I mean, that, that that was a big, big thing in terms of this game, like that end of that first half. And then the Bills came out. It looked like they were had a chance to run away with it in the second half, and yet they still let the Colts come back into it. This is a game where Buffalo should feel good about themselves winning this one. And they almost got really screwed over at the end with that uh, fumble by Zach Paschal that was ruled down by contact. Yeah, Josh Allen, I, I, I've, I think he's been awesome this year, and... He's definitely been more consistent and has made less mistakes, but that was a potential Josh Allen kind of mistake, uh, it, where he almost gave up the fumble there at the at the end of the fourth quarter. But other, other than that, he he was still very good in this game. Yeah, but I I think that this is one where uh, Buffalo should be happy about winning this one, but. You know, if they play like they did against the Baltimore Ravens this coming weekend, I don't know if they're going to be as fortunate to to move on. And um, this is something where, like, yeah, Josh Allen gets his first playoff win, but if they did lose this game, he's kind of entering the same territory as Lamar Jackson, where it's like, all right, you're you're really good in the regular season, but you keep falling short in the playoffs. So um, I do think that was that was a good win for him. He ended up putting up a pretty good stat line in the end, but uh, I think that he's going to need to play much better to be able to beat a team like Baltimore and then beat a team like Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. Agreed. All right, so let's, uh, let's move on to the NFC side of the bracket. And the first game is one that you know i guess is is of particular interest to you as a tom brady fan as the tampa bay buccaneers defeat the washington football team and this is a game that i think in terms of the the way it played out and the margin of victory it was very similar to what a lot of people expected the buccaneers ended up pulling out an eight point win a game where they they kind of led most of the way but they you know washington was able to keep themselves in it yet i don't think it went Exactly how people thought, because there are a lot more points in this one. Tom Brady did not have much uh, effect at all against him by that uh, 
great Washington pass rush and uh, rookie Chase Young. And on the other side, Taylor Heineke making a kind of a surprise start at the end ended up playing really well for the Washington football team. So we were treated to a lot more offense than expected. So I think, um, I guess in terms of that, let's kind of focus on the Bucks winning this game 31 to 23. Do you think that this is a bigger deal for the way their offense played or kind of uh, questionable that the defense let this Washington offense uh, hang around with them despite the offense scoring points? I would go with the questionable defense because I think the Bucks. I th- I think we all know that they're a very talented team, and I think that their ceiling is a Super Bowl. But I think I still think they're a dumb, not well coached team as well. I don't. I and I that kind of showed defensively. I know Taylor Heineke was awesome, and and I think he proved that he's worthy of being an NFL quarterback, whether that's being a a low end starter or or a backup on another team. But I think the the Bucks should have played a lot better defensively, and they played way too much soft zone in that game. And I, I think I don't think that's going to help versus a team like New Orleans when they've gone zero and two versus them. And not only do they have two losses versus New Orleans this year, but they've also gotten killed in both those games. Now the second game more than the first game, but still they they have not performed well versus New Orleans, and they can't play defensively like that again versus. Even though Drew Brees is at the end of his career, it's still Drew Brees, and they still have t- two very obvious, obviously great weapons in Kamara and Thomas, and they have to play a lot better if they're going to win uh, versus the Saints on the road as well. So I'd say it's more about the questionable defense rather than the offense. So I agree with you to an extent. I do think that the defense letting Taylor Heineke look like a franchise quarterback that like the, we're we're kind of talking about that being a possibility is not a good look. But the Tampa Buccaneers offense is clicking right now. And the past few weeks, kind of the knock has been, okay, but who are they doing it against? You know, they they did it against the Vikings defense that's not as that, good as it has been, the Falcons defense twice, and the Lions defense, which is yeah, horrific. And that, and that would have been my argument, because they, they haven't beaten any good teams this year outside of Green Bay, which was back in week five. Six. Yeah, six. it was in October. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But this one, it's like Washington's defense is top five in the league. And the fact that Tom Brady was able to throw for 381 yards against them, didn't get picked off. I think he was sacked three times in this one, but it wasn't like he was getting, they were getting a ton of pressure. Like the few times they were able to get to him, they got him to the ground. Uh, but I, I think to me, a lot of it is kind of a, all right, this box offense proved that they can, like they're, 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 playing well and that they can uh, continue to play like this against a really solid defense and the Saints are another team that have a great pass defense and uh, I think it's going to be another tough matchup for them New Orleans obviously matched up very well against them in the regular season but I don't know the Tampa offense is starting to really come together right now and uh, Antonio Brown has been a big part of it you know as much as I don't like that like he scored a touchdown in what three straight weeks as someone that doesn't like Antonio Brown I wasn't really thrilled with that first touchdown even though he's uh, in our in, on my team in our playoff fantasy league, uh, I I still don't love it. But but uh, compared to how he started with the Bucks, compared to now, he's definitely him and Brady are definitely clicking a lot more than how it started. Yeah, they have that uh, roommate connection going strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, he uh, he's actually scored in four straight games, five touchdowns in the last four games, including this one. So. Um, I mean, he he didn't really do much in the New Orleans game. I I'm pretty sure that uh, you know Brady threw three interceptions. Two of them were yeah, targeted I, I to mean, Brown, or at least I mean, one of them. 
technically no one did anything in that game, but yeah. No, I, and it's 38 Brown to only had a, I think he only had a few catches in that game. Yeah, so I, I think that he's going to be a key part of the Bucks into that game if he can continue to do a lot. And the reality is he had one 22-yard run, and he had two catches for 49 yards. One of them was a 36-yard touchdown pass. So, uh, you know, like Washington kind of kept him in check after that touchdown. I don't think he had a catch the rest of the way because I'm pretty sure his first catch was before that. Uh, but, I mean, that, that's still something that is going to be a factor uh, with the, the Tampa offense is having him, along with a healthy Mike Evans. There are questions whether he would play. He had 119 yards in this yeah, game. Yeah, I, so. I, I, was, I was certainly questioning his health coming into that game, and he proved that he could play through it. And an- another thing that I didn't like about the Bucks' performance, Chris Godwin, I'm I'm a big Chris Godwin fan, but I did not like how he perf- I know he scored a touchdown in that game, but he also had four drops and he's had, I think he's had four drops all season and he had four drops in one game and that can't happen for if they want to win. Yeah. Five catches on 12 targets for Chris Godwin is uh not, not a good look. Uh, I, I think it's also a credit to this running game. Like I've been very critical of Leonard Fournette all season long. As have I. Ronald Jones was marked as questionable right before kickoff uh, i guess he got hurt in warm-ups didn't play in this one and fournette came in and ran for 93 yards and yeah uh, and i mean the, was... the bucks rushing attack is going to be a big part of this as well if they can if they can win on the ground you know that they have the weapons to be able to move the ball through the air yeah i i agree i've been pretty critical of him as well and especially since he's not really a great pass catcher but he he probably had his best game all season versus a good defense yeah, and I, I think that's a big credit to him, given the fact that he probably wasn't expecting to have that kind of workload, but was thrown into that with um, the Ronald Jones pregame injury. So I, I think one thing with Washington is we've kind of talked about this a little, but um, so first of all, I think we both agree that Taylor Heineke at least deserves a chance to be a starting quarterback next year, whether it's in Washington or elsewhere. Um I think that Washington is going to be a team that's linked to a lot of veteran quarterbacks that could be on the move. They have the 19th pick in the draft, so unless they want to move up, they're probably not going to get one of the top guys. Uh, you know, after Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, maybe they they make a play for Mac Jones, but uh, outside of that, they're probably not going to end up in position to draft a quarterback who can step in week one and be the starter. So I certainly would think that Heineke has at least earned the chance to be this team's backup. You know, they've been connected to Sean Watson. They've been connected or I'm sure they'll continue to be connected to other veterans like Matt Safford, Matt Ryan, maybe even Carson Wentz if the Eagles want to trade within the division. Uh, but do you do you believe that Taylor Heineke is going to at least come into training camp with the possibility of being the Washington football team week one starter? Yeah, I think I think he's earned a chance to be at least the backup there and and possibly the starter because I I'd imagine Alex Smith is done at this point. Or I'm, I I'm not I exactly expect sure. him to retire. I know he's still weighing that decision, but I would be very surprised if he comes back. As would I, and I don't think they're going to go the Haskins route again and give him a second chance no, maybe, no he's, maybe not. he's done in washington yeah that's for sure. I, i'd imagine if anyone were to pick him up it would be somewhere else not named washington so yeah i can see them him being the backup or possibly the starter and try to bring in other guys whether it's like a like a kyle kyle allen 
uh, la- true. He's still back- there. So I, I, I can absolutely see a scenario where Washington and like Ron Rivera decides he's just gonna move forward with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke this season, hope for the best, and then reevaluate down the road if things don't play out as, uh, as hoped. And I mean the NFC East, like. You know, obviously, if Dak Prescott goes back to Dallas, like you would think that they're going to be better. They showed signs of improvement down the stretch. Um, but the Eagles are kind of a mess. They just fired Doug Peterson. The Giants are a team where, like, they, they were really good. Yeah. You know, for a six and 10 team, like, they, they also kind of came on strong late. But uh, it feels like Washington should still be, uh, you know, feeling good about their chances to win this division. And they were able to win it without having consistent quarterback play. So I don't know that they necessarily need to give up a ton of draft capital to go get an aging veteran kind of be in a win now mode. I think that they can kind of wait around if that's uh, that's the approach that they take. One wild fun fact that I'd like to bring up, Taylor Heineke, he was actually on the Patriots practice squad at one point. A couple yeah, years ago, I didn't a few years ago. That. So they so they let the goat walk away for nothing. Two goats walk away for nothing in the same exact game. What a coincidence! Yeah, <laughs> I think it's um it's incredible that not only was he playing in the XFL earlier this year, but he was a backup. He didn't even start for the St. Louis BattleHawks, and he's starting a, an NFL playoff game and plays really well, and to the point where the the headline uh, on ESPN is Brady outduels Heineke leads Buc- Buccaneers past Washington. Like, <laughs> who could have ever expected that from him? So, all right. And uh, let's let's move on to our next game in the NFC. And the Los Angeles Rams, despite starting John Walford and losing him to injury and having to turn to an injured Jared Goff, pull out a 30-20 to win over Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And this is a game where... I know both of us were were pretty high on Seattle, and I think so, like Pittsburgh, we're kind of surprised that the Seahawks, you know, came out and fell flat like they did. So if you asked me later in the week, I I hate that I didn't <laughs> I didn't say this later because we did this on Monday, but uh, my opinion would have remained the same for the Pittsburgh Cleveland game. But the later and the later in the week, I really was leaning towards. The Rams, even with Walford starting, I really can't. Pr- I wish I can prove it uh, outside of like text messages or our fantasy teams, uh, where I did pick a f- couple of Rams. But other than that, I don't. I can't really prove it. But the later in the week it got, the more I realized, like, man, the Rams really do have a. They have like one of the legit defenses in the league. I know, because it's really a quarterback friendly league now, where it. it and I don't blame the NFL because they want to protect their stars and they want to appeal to the fantasy football players, but but because of that, there aren't a lot of great defenses. The Rams are the one def- one of the few defenses in the league that is, is legit. And if you honestly looking at the Seahawks offense, they haven't they honestly haven't played really that great for maybe two months now. And the thing with the Seahawks is, if the quarterback does not play well, if Russell Wilson is struggling, they're in deep trouble. And it's not it defensively for uh as in terms of a matchup for the Seahawks it it did, definitely didn't pan out uh I, I i wasn't uh very confident if i were a Seahawks fan i wouldn't i wasn't confident going into that game uh so i'll admit i was leaning towards the rams later in the week i wish i can prove it but i can't but uh the rams defense was legit in that game and they are contenders because of it so 
I, I agree with you and that the Rams defense is awesome. I never had doubts about them. Obviously, you have Aaron Donald, who's probably the best non-quarterback in the league, if you even want to say he's the best overall player. Uh, but it, I did have serious concerns about the Rams offense, and not even just that John Walford was playing, because Jared Goff played against the Seahawks in Week 16, and they only scored nine points. And I felt high on the Rams going into that one. Before that, they lost to the Jets at home. They only scored 20 points against the Jets in a game where, yeah, I know the Jets players themselves were trying, but like nobody saw New York uh, putting in any kind of a fight against LA, just given how horrible they had been the first 13 games of the season. So. To me, I was I was down on the Rams offense and I, I expected Seattle to maybe grind out this one. I don't remember what I said the the score margin would be, but I was thinking I said, somewhere I, in I like remember the 20 I said it'd to be, 10 range. I remember I so. said it'd be like a, a touchdown game where Walford would at least keep him in it. I guess that was the biggest reason why I wasn't believing in the Rams last Monday was just because they were very likely going to be without Jared Goff and they were going to be playing a backup quarterback in a playoff game. I guess that was the definitely the biggest reason. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of why this one felt like a game where normally I would have been high on the Rams because I I don't think that Seattle has been playing well. Uh, but I, it just didn't seem like LA should have been able to pull out this win, especially the way they did. Like it, they scored thirty points, and I know one of them was a pick six, but their offense. It was more in control of this game than Seattle's, and they were struggling at one point, especially early in the second half. Where I mean, they were just going three and out constantly. But and I know I'm very critical of Jared Goff, and I I still stand by that it's more of the coach than than him. But I do give him credit. I don't. I'm not even going to criticize him. I'm going to give him credit for coming into that game with the sudden Wolf, uh John Walford injury and playing with a broken thumb uh two weeks after thumb surgery and i i think it was i think he had a good performance even with a limited uh limited capacity yeah i think given the fact that he was injured all week didn't do much practicing like he wasn't expected to play going nine for 19 for 155 yards a touchdown no picks like that that's a, a reasonable stat line and i think that's that was a big part of it is him being able to protect the ball and he didn't do anything to hurt the Rams chances he just let the defense just totally ruin Seattle and uh I mean I I take solace in the fact that the Steelers weren't the only 12 win team to to lose to a depleted division rival this weekend because you know I I guess in the case with Pittsburgh there is a lot of uncertainty in terms of what that team's going to look like next year but with Seattle this team since losing Super Bowl 49 to the Patriots six never been the same they haven't made it to an NFC Championship game. Like they, they've consistently been kind of in this range where they're good enough to make the playoffs, they're good enough to win a playoff game, and they can't go any further than that. And it's not like Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll are going anywhere anytime soon. Seattle is not going to give up on probably the greatest head coach and greatest quarterback that franchise has ever seen. But their ceiling continues to be limited. And they gave up two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. They don't have a first-round pick this year or next year. Like... This team's future, it feels like it's kind of bleak in the sense that, yeah, they're still going to be a playoff team, but I don't know that this is going to become a Super Bowl contender again anytime soon. And, I mean, if Russell Wilson is going to come out and go 11 for 27 in a playoff game, like, I know it's against a really good Rams defense, but you... He's supposed to be this guy that we're wowed that he's never received an MVP vote. Like, that that's not a stat line he should be producing. 
you could also say that they also rely way too much on Russell Wilson and they need to rely a little bit more on the running game and and also reliable defense but they don't have they obviously don't have the same defense that they did since that Super Bowl run that they had when they had the Legion of Boom and they had all these guys in their secondary with Sherman and Chancellor and Thomas and so many others and uh, they, yeah the the Seahawks defense is not Def, definitely not as good especially I know Jamal Adams is good but yeah they give it two first up two first rounders for him and it's it's pretty shaky after him and Wagner and, and other guys and uh, yeah I think they have a very limited ceiling if they're gonna just gonna keep relying on Wilson to do everything yeah I mean it, I think that it is maybe too much of an indictment on Wilson because their defense is is not great but uh, it's still one of those things where like you can't rely on him to be perfect all the time. And maybe they can kind of find a way to con- to build better around him. But he really had his play fall off down the stretch this season. Really after those first three weeks, like his performance was not the same. So I think there's a lot of reason for Seattle fans to kind of start worrying, like is Russell Wilson ever going to lead us back to the promised land? And, you know, maybe it's something that's just as simple as building a better team around him. But when's that all going to happen? You don't have a first round pick the next few years, so it's. Uh, I think it's it's going to be kind of a slow process for the Seahawks moving forward. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to our final game of the weekend, and uh, this one is fun for maybe not the traditional reasons. The New Orleans Saints beat the Chicago Bears twenty-one to nine. Uh, but that doesn't tell most of the story because this was, of course, the Nickelodeon game. And um, this is one where there wasn't as much slime as we were probably hoping for. These offenses kind of got off to a slow start. Uh, but in the end, New Orleans was just too much for Chicago. And I think that that's that's really what the story was, is that you know the Saints didn't need to do a whole lot on offense to win this one because the Bears' offense is not good and the Saints' defense is very good. I'm glad this game was on Nickelodeon because if it weren't on Nickelodeon, I don't know how much of this game I would have watched because it was pretty pretty much over from the start. And I, I obviously I'm not a Trubisky guy, but I don't think his teammates helped him out very much in this game because they had this great trick play in the beginning of the game where it was like a sort of a flea flicker and Trubisky threw a, a perfect pass right to Javon Wims and he just completely drops and once that happened it was just downhill from there it was already over and the bears had no shot now i i know i've always i've been i remember in the beginning of the year i was critical of the 14 uh team playoff format and i i actually i'll admit i loved it for the most part out but this is the one game where i would have been i would have paused for the 14 game playoff to keep happening in the future because the bears were just completely outclassed by the saints and it was over from the start and <laughs> there's really not much else to talk about because because <laughs> it was just over from the beginning yeah and it was a game where it was close for most of the first half i mean it was seven to three at halftime but that like you said that javon Wims drop just kind of was like all right the, the bears offense isn't going to do anything and it was only a matter of time before the saints offense put it all together i mean deontay harris had six catches for 83 yards for them like they they were relying on guys like, you know, Michael Thomas had his first touchdown of the season early in this one. Like the Saints offense was kind of like trying to figure things out, but the the Bears offense could never put anything together. Um, and I, I think that the defense played pretty well in this one. 
I mean, yeah, I, they, I've they been did as critical of the defense they, down the stretch, and Matt they Nagy, did as much but, as they could. Yeah, I mean, the, the the story of this game was less about the football, and it, it was more about that Nickelodeon broadcast. And um, I mean, I'm I'm cool with just kind of switching to that at this point because you know I don't think that there's too much to talk about with this one. I imagine Mitchell Trubisky's Ab- gone in Chicago, and Drew Brees lives for at least another week in New Orleans. So, yep, um, this. Uh, you know, I I guess going into the the season and you know going into the playoffs, how did you feel about the idea of the NFL putting a game on Nickelodeon? It sounded it sound it sounded weird at first, but uh, but watching it, I I, I watched the entire game on the Nickelodeon format. I didn't. I, I know really? I know I know Jim Nance and Tony Romar. I, I I love them as a as a pair on CBS, but I just wanted to see what it was like. Just 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 especially since I'm a huge nickelodeon fan which we'll talk about later uh, i i mean if if there's a heaven i want football and nickelodeon and to combine that into one for me was was just great now i'm i'm sure i wouldn't like it if it were every single game but just for the one time yeah i i enjoyed it and i think uh noah eagle uh and nate burleson and the the girl in between yeah gabby gabby green uh um, yeah who so she is, uh, like I guess she's like fifteen. She's a cast member on all that. I didn't know that they even did an all that reboot. Uh, there, there were a lot of people that were pretty critical of Gabby because she. I, I don't think she'd ever even been to a football game. She really didn't know much, but which, it, which I kind of figured. But I mean, she's broadcasting in an NFL playoff game. I'm not expecting much. It from, was. From her. I Just, mean, it was a game on Nickelodeon, and the thing is, the target audience was kids, and there were obviously a well, lot more. Well, the than target just kids idi- already, it. The, the target audience was kids and people like us who yes. want to re- relive the past of Nickelodeon. Yeah, and I think it. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, I wound up watching most of the game on CBS, at least for the start. I had um, the, the Nickelodeon broadcast on my laptop, but I, I was I was in the living room with my dad, and he had the CBS broadcast. He was not interested in putting on the Nickelodeon one, and eventually I was like, all right, I'm like trying to watch both these games but i'm not really watching either of them like so i, I stopped watching the nickelodeon broadcast i got the gist of it i think it was so, so much fun like when it yeah. came out in the beginning with that graphic it's like drew Brees and Taysom hill are comparing them to, to SpongeBob, spongebob and patrick, and patrick. like uh, that was just that was awesome like i i know i know it's childish but I'll, I'll admit if it were any so like let's say it were the bills colts game where that was super entertaining i'll admit i probably would have had it on the cbs broadcast but because it was saints bears and it was a useless game i decided you know what i'm just gonna keep it on nickelodeon yeah and i, I and think i love that saints, I, saints bears like you said like that is kind of the perfect game for nickelodeon uh, and i i do think that it's awesome that uh you know the the internet decided to uh to run give, with give. mitchell trubisky as the yeah. mvp of this game so you I know, congrats to Mitch. He has it. It's on his Pro Football Reference's Wikipedia as an official award. Um, uh, so one one thing though is, what is MVP supposed to stand for? Isn't it Nickelodeon? Oh yeah, right. Like <laughs> I was gonna say Nickelodeon Valuable Player. I'm like wait, yeah, like doesn't... it doesn't make any sense. Like obviously it's just like a play on MVP. We're replacing it with N for Nickelodeon, but uh, it is kind of like a silly silly thing. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I thought like the graphic stuff was cool, having the slime and like the even the first down mar- markers having the 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 green and the orange slime flowing through. Uh, I, I think they did a really great job with the presentation. I think you know, one thing they did a really great job with as well was explaining the rules of the game. Like they they weren't kind of belittling the audience. They were kind of like saying in it like, yeah, so this is this is what the first down is. Like you you have this many plays to get there. Or like, oh, the refs are going to get together. This means somebody did something wrong and all this stuff. Um, I, I was interested, though, in tuning in to see what the broadcast would have to say about um, – Anthony Miller getting ejected for punching uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. It it didn't really seem like they went too much into that one. Uh, But they did kind of have an F-word slip up on the show, which... uh, I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's it's something that you run that risk when you have a game on Nickelodeon, especially when there's no fans in the crowd. Like, you hear that stuff constantly on the normal broadcast. So, uh, kind of unfortunate with that. But I, I certainly hope that the NFL does continue to look into... Um, you know, different avenues for broadcasting these games and appealing to people, you know, maybe not your traditional football audience. So what what about a, a Nickelodeon Red Zone channel? You know, like the Red Zone <laughs> channel that happens all year. We yeah. watch seven hours. I'm like, how about, how about have Scott Hansen or, or whomever? That feels just, like way too much. I mean, I, I think uh, having, I, I, know I'm, I know I'm taking it too far, but I, yeah, I having the occasional believe. regular season game on Nickelodeon. Sure. I think that would be great to try to grow the game. Uh, but you know, I, I don't think they need to go overboard with it. So, um, yeah, overall very fun doing that. And, uh, I think that that was the, the, the biggest highlight of this, this, uh, first round matchup between the saints and the bears. So with that, let's move on to our divisional round picks and let's start, uh, with the, the first game of the weekend, the Saturday, four thirty-five, the green Bay Packers hosting the Los Angeles Rams. So are we? We're just going by margin, right? Margin yeah, victory. just the same thing okay. we did last good. time. Good. All right. Good. I'll go Packers, but I'll say by a touchdown. I think the Rams' defense can limit the Packers' offense and keep it a semi-low scoring game, and keep them keep the Rams' offense in it. But I don't think the Rams' offense has enough firepower to keep up with the Packers as well. So I'll say Packers by a touchdown so or I'm seven. A, I'm I'm actually really intrigued by this matchup at first it was like oh yeah the rams don't stand a chance against the packers but the more i thought about it historically when you have a great defense like elite type defense like top of the league like the rams have and a great elite like top of the league offense that the packers have the defense wins out the packers already have offensive line trouble david bakhtiari out for the playoffs i think that's gonna be a huge loss for them uh, they're they're at the point where there's a good chance they might end up starting Jason Vildier, who actually started who, who for the Colts was on last the week. Colts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, he could be the first player to play in uh, two different playoff games, two different teams in the same season. Uh, and I, I think in the case of Devontae Adams, yeah, he's been phenomenal this season. But Jalen Ramsey has really come on strong this year. Like he he's an all pro corner. I don't know that he'll totally shut down Adams, but I can absolutely see the defense kind of harassing that Packers offense. And if Jared Goff is able to control the ball, doesn't make any mistakes, does just enough, whatever he's capable to do a bull of doing with that um, broken thumb, I think that the Rams can pull this one out. I'm actually going to go with the upset and say LA by five. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with the, with that as well, or agree with your points as well. And Ramsey, even though DK Metcalf stat line doesn't show it, I think Ramsey did a really good job versus DK Metcalf. I mean, Metcalf, was able to uh, 
beat out some blown coverages uh, in, in that game. But outside of that, they did it. The Rams did a good job limiting him and Lockett as well. And so I agree with your points that uh, that the Rams can definitely uh, limit the Packers' offense, especially since there's a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers to perform now that he was an MVP this year and almost threw 50 touchdowns. Where this is, I feel like. This is probably wrong, but I feel like this is really the Packers' time, like now or never kind of time for for them yeah. to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's absolutely fair. Um, you know, like like you said last time, Rodgers is under a ton of pressure, probably the most of any quarterback in the league. Uh, as you know, especially at this point, left just given how great he was in the regular season and how high the expectations have gotten in Green Bay. Uh, and I. I don't know if I can trust the Rams offense, but I, I, I doubted them last week and they did just enough to beat Seattle. So I am going to, I'm going to go. I hope I don't have second thoughts later in the week. Like I did with the Rams Seattle game, but I, I trust the Packers more offense, more than the Seahawks offense at this point. Yeah. And you also picked the Packers to go to the Super Bowl, So it would that, be uh, that too. So yeah, <laughs> I can't exactly change my mind on that as well. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, you know, the Saturday night game. So the Buffalo Bills taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Who you got in this one? I will go with the Bills, and I think the Ravens celebrated last week like they won the Super Bowl, and I think the Bills' uh, ceiling wasn't even reached. They they didn't even reach their ceiling versus the Colts. I don't think. I think they can perform even better and, and make less mistakes and. And I, th- I think they're the superior team. Yeah, so I've been going back and forth on this one. Uh, I do think that if these two teams played like they did last week, that the Baltimore Ravens would win. Uh, but I do think that it was kind of a wake-up call for the Bills' offense. I, I do think that Josh Allen's going to do enough. I think he's going to outplay Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. And uh, I don't necessarily look into what Baltimore did as them thinking they won the Super Bowl, but... Um, I don't know. I think Lamar Jackson can play well in this one, but ultimately I'm going to say that the Buffalo Bills do win this game by uh, eight points. Oh, I didn't even give the margin of victory. I'll say by 10. All right. Um, so let's uh, move on to the Sunday game. 305, the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Cleveland Browns. I think this is another thing where I feel like the, the Browns felt like they won the Super Bowl by beating their rival uh Steelers in, in the AFC North and it's going to be a sort of a wake up call when they face the best team in the in the NF one of the best teams in the NFL with all the firepower that the Chiefs have on offense with Mahomes, Kelsey and Hill and it's going to be a totally I feel like it's kind of a mismatch. I know I know Cleveland played really well versus Pittsburgh but I it's going to be sort of a wake up call when they face the much better team in Kansas City. And maybe maybe Kansas City will get off to a slow start like they did versus Houston, but I I still don't see how the Browns win uh, versus KC. And I hope it doesn't come back to me because it sort of did for the Browns-Steelers game, but I'm sticking with KC, especially since I picked them to make the Super Bowl again. Uh, I'll say Kansas City by I'll, – I'll, I'll say by 10 again. So, you know, you did kind of mention it there, uh, talking about Kansas City getting off to slow starts. You know, throughout the, the season, they, they didn't really dominate many teams. And you just look at their playoff history. They fell down to the Patriots 14 nothing at halftime in the 2018 AFC Championship game. And then last year, they were down 24 nothing to Houston. They were down 17-7 to Tennessee. And they were down 20-10 to to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, 
Obviously, they end up losing to England, but last three, all three of those games, they were down by multiple scores, and all three of them, they won by multiple scores. And I think we're going to see something similar. I think Cleveland's going to jump out in front, like maybe 10 nothing, and like all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, can the Browns do it again? Can they, they pull off another like huge victory and keep this thing going? And then Kansas City is going to do something. They're going to have this big play. I don't know if it's Patrick Mahomes finding like a wide open Tyree kill or you know hitting Travis Kelsey over the middle and he breaks one or something is going to happen. And the Kansas City offense is just going to start clicking and they're going to get it going and they're going to end up running away with this one. I'm going Chiefs by 21. Wow. Yes. So last game of the weekend, uh, probably the biggest game. We have two two 40-year-old quarterbacks going head-to-head in a playoff game for the first time ever. Drew Brees in New Orleans Saints against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who do you have winning this one? Will this be on the History Channel? Like the Saints, <laughs> yeah. so Saints Bears is on Nickelodeon. Will this be on the yeah, History I Channel? Did, I did see that. That should happen <laughs> on uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm going to go with the Saints over the Bucks by three. I think this will be the best game. I think it'll be the most entertaining game, closest game. But I think I still think the Saints are uh, a much better, well, well coached team, and and I think they got they match up with the talent as well, and I think they they just match up well with Tampa Bay for whatever reason. I don't think Tampa Tampa Bay has just really been sloppy versus New Orleans, but I think they they're they're going to be a little bit sharper versus New Orleans given the stakes, uh, especially with Brady leading them. But I still think. New Orleans is a little bit better. So I'm, I'm going to go New Orleans by three. So there's this like saying in the NFL that it's difficult to beat a team three times in one season. But if you actually look at the numbers, that's not true. I think something, I don't know if it's all time going back to the merger, 1990, whatever, but teams in the last 21 games, uh, the team that won the two games in the regular season is 14 and seven in the playoff matchup. So I don't think that should be a concern for New Orleans. I don't think that New Orleans is going to win in a blowout like they had the past two. I think the Bucs are playing some of their best football right now, but I do think in the end the Saints are going to pull this one out in a close one. I'm going to say the Saints by seven. Uh, but it will be one of those games where it comes down to the wire with that one score. So, all right, that's, uh, that's what we're looking at for the divisional round. So, uh, let's wrap things up with our NFL talk. We'll uh, have another episode next week to recap some of the action that we saw from this weekend. And let's talk a little NHL because the 2021 NHL season is finally set to start Wednesday, January 13th. So potentially the day that this uh, you're listening to this, if you listen to the day that this episode comes out and the NHL will be like, a lot of other sports leagues in 2021 uh, making up for an extended 2020 season and uh, playing a shortened one. So uh, because of travel restrictions, the, you know, with, with Canada and the United States, the NFL, the NHL decided to reshuffle the divisions. So all seven teams that play in Canada will be in their own North division while the remaining 24 U.S. teams are being broken up geographically into East, Central, and West. And I think let's just kind of start off with this. The divisions have sponsors. It's the Scotia NHL North Division, the Mass Mutual NHL East Division, the Discover NHL Central Division, and Honda NHL West Division. So uh, I guess what are your thoughts on the NHL having 
divisions? Do you care? Like you're having like sponsors. Parmy doesn't care, but Parmy is thinks it's kind of odd. I mean, why can't they just name it the just north north south east west or north central east west? I don't know. It it's just kind of odd. They have sponsors for divisions. I've never seen that in my life. Well, you also have never seen every sports league try to play during a pandemic and play with no fans, no ticket revenue. So that's that's true. Desperate times uh, come for uh, desperate measures, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's really what it comes down to. The NHL's trying to recuperate some of the lost money, and these divisions are probably only going to be in place for one season. You know, ideally by the time the 2021 season starts, Canada and U.S. can you know those teams can travel freely. Um, so I, I don't really think it's a huge deal. I, I don't know that anyone really does think it's a big deal. I think there was a time where this was announced where the whole internet was like fighting the same argument with this one, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's whatever. If this helps the NHL regain some of the lost money and put out a better product, then I'm okay with it. Um, so I, I guess let's kind of dive into that. So the, the league in you know keeping these geographical alignments is limiting it so teams play a 56 game season only playing division rivals so or i guess you know divisional opponents so the uh the, the three US divisions have eight teams each so teams are going to play their opponents eight times make up 56 games and in the north division they're going to play the other teams nine or 10 times and the way that it's all going to play out is teams are basically going to do like baseball type series where they're going to have two game home stands. So just for example, the Pittsburgh Penguins start the season uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers. It's the first game on Wednesday. And then I believe they play again on Friday at Philadelphia. And then Pittsburgh goes home for two games against the Washington Capitals and then two more against the New York Rangers. So just a way to kind of limit the travel, keep these teams in the same place as much as possible for as long as possible without, you know, going into a bubble environment. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, you know, the Dallas stars are already had their, uh, the start of their season postponed a week to January 19th. So uh, COVID is certainly going to be a theme of the season. We've seen it affect all the other sports though. So that shouldn't be a huge surprise. Uh, so I guess, what are your thoughts, I guess, on how that NHL you know, playoffs or not regular season schedule format is? I think it's smart. I mean, we saw baseball do a similar thing where they had three divisions of 10 teams where they I only mean, they, played... they still did six of five. It was the same thing. They still divided oh, thought, the American oh, League. Oh, I, thought, I thought it was three. I thought it was three of three of 10, but my bad. Okay. But uh, I mean, they only played certain teams, right? Like they Yeah, only you played only played teams East. geographically, like the okay, East so only that played sense, the then. East. Yeah. And, so. Right. Okay. So the divisions were the same, but the, the, the teams that they played were the only... Where the, like, the East play the East, uh, Central play Central, and West played West. So, yep. yeah. So I I like that format, especially for Can Canadian teams. I I like that the NHL made sure that the Canadian teams would only play each other and they wouldn't have to cross the uh, American border. And so so yeah, I think it's smart to do that, and I think it's also smart to have consecutive games against the same opponent, same building. That way, they can limit the travel and limit the amount of uh, risk in getting COVID because. Let's face it, the players and uh, coaches and other people in the organizations are going to get COVID. And I guess my biggest worry is, it, will they end up like the NBA, where the NBA, we're already seeing problems with the Celtics and other teams, where they, they're starting to post, postpone more games, and are we going to pause the season? And it 
do we have to go back to a bubble? So I, so yeah, I, I have concerns like any other, any other person would about, about this, but at the same time, I also like the ideas that they're doing where they're trying to limit the risk as, as much as possible. Yeah, I do expect there to be some difficulties. I don't know. I, I, I hope that the NHL has some kind of a plan for this. Uh, I don't know to what extent they're going to be able to work around things. They are doing this uh, the schedule, like having these little mini home stands to try to limit the issues. But if some of these games get postponed or canceled, it could end up uh, you know, kind of being really difficult to realign the schedule. So uh, hopefully that's that's not a thing that, has to happen i do think that they have some time built in at the end of the season if they really do need to you know push back some of these games but the uh the nhl is going to try to go full speed ahead just like some of these other leagues so uh it'll certainly be interesting to see how that plays out and i guess just you know looking at that let's (laughs) kind of just look ahead to what we expect to happen in terms of games actually being played and these teams uh competing against each other so uh in terms of the the divisions i think that you and i both find the east division to be the most intriguing because you're a boston bruins fan i'm a pittsburgh penguins fan those two teams are both in the mass mutual nhl east division and i think that this is the most interesting division because you have so many natural rivalries in this one you have pittsburgh philly you have the three new york teams the rangers islanders and new jersey devils you have pittsburgh washington and boston is you know their bigger rivalries are toronto and montreal but they still have rivalries with teams like philly and new york and boston even washington to an extent uh so i i think that uh just given that like this division feels like it's going to be a lot of teams that just kind of beat up on each other and like i i think that it's also one where it feels like maybe it's the most wide open for that reason I can see that. Yeah, I mean, the Bruins, I know they won the President's Trophy last year, but I I don't think they're as good as their regular season record last year, especially losing Chara and not really having much of a plan for in terms of replacing him. Tory Krug as well. Yeah, and Tory Krug going to St. Louis as well, which is kind of a shame, especially go, the team that he chose. Uh and then yeah, Pittsburgh, they've been a Stanley Cup contending team, but they I feel like they're going to start to decline a little bit now that Crosby and Malkin are in their mid thirties now. And yeah, 33 uh, and 34 respectively. Yeah. And and Ovechkin as well. I know and the capitals, they won just a few years ago and who knows uh, what Ovechkin and uh, the rest of the capitals uh, rosters motivation is not that they won finally won one. And I think teams like the Rangers and devils are, and the Sabres are on the rise and we saw the Islanders and Flyers have a lot of playoff success uh, last year in the bubble. So, yeah, I think I I agree as well that it's very wide open. Yeah, I mean, you kind of got into this just now, but I think that we have kind of three groups of teams, maybe not necessarily tiers, because I do think that, uh, you know, like a lot of these teams are maybe closer than uh, you would think. But you have Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston. So before the the bubble season in Toronto, these were the last four Eastern Conference representatives in the Stanley Cup Finals. And you kind of got into this. They're all still very talented teams. They all have a lot of big name players. They've had a lot of recent success, but kind of feels like they're trending down before they're trending up. So those are teams where you wouldn't be surprised if any of them kind of puts it all together and finds themselves at the top of the division. But you also wouldn't be shocked if any of them finds themselves closer to the bottom and things just don't come together and they end up missing the playoffs entirely. 
On the flip side, you have that group that you mentioned, Buffalo, New York Rangers, New Jersey. They're all three teams that are kind of in that rebuilding stage. New Jersey had a lot of things go wrong last year. It's a disastrous season after uh, drafting Jack Hughes as the first overall pick, bringing in some veteran talent. They're probably the furthest away, but the Rangers... They signed Artemi Panarin last season. They started to kind of expedite their rebuild. And, of course, they got a huge boost when they locked into drafting uh, Alexis Lafreniere with the first overall pick. So they're a team that's certainly trending up. And then the Buffalo Sabres. Like, we talked about the Bills and uh, this whole time where, like, they hadn't won a playoff game in forever. Like, huge for Buffalo fans. The Sabres haven't been to the playoffs in 10 years. They have the longest playoff drought of any team. And uh, they've kind of been knocking on the door lately. So, like, they're a team that, like you said, they're also kind of feels like they're on the rise. Like, maybe this could be the year for them. Yeah, I think I think all, all those teams have great first-line power where, like you said, the Rangers, they drafted Lafreniere first overall, who's uh, supposedly the next coming of Crosby and McDavid. He's kind of in that tier in terms of first, first overall picks. He's not just another guy being drafted first. He's he's so good pick. that there were talks whether teams should not even try in the playoffs for a one in eight <laughs> chance to get him. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, it was, like you said, it was a disaster for the Devils last year, even though they drafted Jack Hughes. Uh, and then and then the Sabres, they, they signed Taylor Hall to a one-year $8 million deal, prove-it deal. And... I feel like him and Jack Eichel could be a really good duo on their first line. And they also drafted Rasmus Dahlin a few years ago and who's still still developing, but he, he should be a, a good first line de- defenseman at some point. So yeah, like all three of those teams are, I could see them still finishing at the bottom, but I could also see one of the, those three contending for one of those last playoff spots as well. And then that just leaves the last two teams, the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers. And I don't know if it's totally fair to group these two teams together because they are kind of in different places. But the Islanders are a team that it feels like everyone counts them out every single year. And yet every single year they find themselves in the playoffs. And like this past season, they went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and they gave Tampa a really good fight after beating the Flyers in the playoffs. Yeah, I'll admit I... I'm one of those people that counts them out pretty early because I don't think they're a very talented roster outside of uh, Matt, Matthew Barzal, who I wanted the Bruins to draft five years ago, but they passed on him and the Bruins are definitely regretting that decision. But outside of him, I don't yeah, especially love the talent on the Islanders, but they're really well coached with Barry Trotz, who used to be the Capitals head coach. And when they faced each other in the playoffs, the Islanders won. And so I, they, they certainly have five good co- games. They jumped out three nothing. Like yeah, they, so they certainly have they certainly have good coaching and they're yeah. I'll admit I don't love the talent as much as other teams, but they're definitely a scrappier team and they they overachieve more times than not. I guess yeah, it would certainly be foolish to count them out. And then the Philadelphia Flyers are a team where they were the number one seed in the. Uh, NHL bubble restart they were they were the fourth team behind Washington Boston and Tampa but they they wound up going three and oh in the round robin getting that one seed they they ultimately lost to the Islanders in the uh the conference semifinals but they're a team that's they're on the rise but they're they're there they have a goalie in Carter Hart who is he's potentially like the next big thing when it comes to being yeah, like, I, the best I goalie think- in the league I'm not going to pretend I know all the every single goalie prospect in the league, but Carter Hart is really good. Yeah, he's he's 
he's going to be one of the best goalies if he's not already one of the best goalies in the league. And he's definitely going to be uh, a core player on the Flyers uh, for years to come. Yeah, so they're another team that you absolutely can expect to be, uh, you know, right there at the end uh, in this East Division. So it's going to be a fun time, and uh, I think that whoever comes out on top is really going to have earned that. But it's uh, it's very likely that you're going to see a team that maybe you're used to seeing make it deep into the playoffs every single year, at least you know contend for a Stanley Cup every year, not play well, and ultimately see themselves uh, have their season. And earlier than uh, they would hope. So I guess just real quickly, like we can talk a little bit about the other divisions. I don't know if we want to go into as much detail. I know you could probably talk more about hockey than I can. I'm not going to pretend like I'm as knowledgeable at the end about the NHL as I am about the other sports. But uh, let's move on to the, the central division. Where to me, the Central kind of feels similar to the East in the sense that you have a lot of notable teams. You have the two Stanley Cup finalists from last year in the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Dallas Stars. You have teams like the Nashville Predators. You have the Chicago Blackhawks and Detroit Red Wings. They're, they're, they're a rivalry, but both those teams are down. They're not the same teams that we had seen yeah, but five both, years ago. Both, but, yeah, both the Red Wings and Blackhawks are teams that are not as good as they used to be. And they're both very, very poor on the defensive end. Yeah, and then you have Columbus, Carolina, and Florida. Those are three teams that we we expect to kind of contend for the playoffs. You know, maybe they can go on a run. We did see the Hurricanes go to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019, but uh, you know they 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 maybe have more limited ceilings than some of the others. And to me, the biggest difference between the Central and the East is maybe not the quality of the competition, but just the fact that you don't really have a lot of those natural rivalries. Chicago, Detroit is really it with this one. Um, yeah, and like we said, those are two teams that they're they're toward the bottom. Um, but this is one where it does kind of feel like you could see a number of these teams, pretty much anyone outside of Detroit making it to the playoffs. And now, you know, you have a, a handful that can really be, uh, you know, big contenders this year. I think that uh, Tampa is kind of an interesting situation as well as Dallas, because both those teams, they made it deeper than anyone else. But that means they yeah, have the shortest they made off the season. Stim- both of them are in the Stanley Cup. Yeah, and they both have some uh, injury issues, and maybe some teams didn't have that because they their season ended earlier. But um, Nikita Kucherov, he had a hip surgery in the off season. He's going to miss most of the regular season. Uh, he might not be back until the playoffs. So that feels like that could be a big loss for the Lightning. Dallas is going to start the season without Tyler Sagan and goalie Ben Bishop. So that kind of feels like those are two teams that we could maybe see get off to slow starts. Yeah, I I would say Dallas would be hurt by the injuries more than Tampa because I I think even I know Dallas made the Stanley Cup last year and I think it surprised people, uh, but I I think I think they have don't have as much talent as Tampa. Where Sagan's even though he struggled last struggled mightily in the playoffs last season, I still think he's one of their most talented players. And Ben Bishop, he's a great goaltender. I know Anton Hudobin played better in the playoffs than Ben Bishop did, but I still think Bishop is a solid goaltender, whether if he's a starter or a backup. So I think that's going to hurt them. And then for the lightning, I just, I, they, they won the Stanley cup last year without Steven Stamkos providing much of anything outside of the two minutes where he actually ended up scoring a goal. And so losing Kucherov, but you get Stamkos back fully healthy. I think maybe they won't win the division, but I still think they will be in the mix once Kucherov is back and they're in the postseason. uh, approaches in may 
I do expect Tampa to still be good. Like you said, they still have plenty of talent, even without Kucherov. Um, now, the, the knock against the Lightning has always been that they can't win in the playoffs. So we saw them pull off one of the greatest regular seasons ever in 2019 and then probably get swept by Columbus in the first round. Uh, so it's, it'll be interesting to see if did winning the Stanley Cup kind of reverse those fortunes or are they just going to go back to that same old team that uh, is, is really great, but they just can't put it all together when it matters the most. So uh, let's move on to the last U.S. division, the West division. And uh, this is one where it feels really top heavy with a big drop off because you have the St. Louis Blues, who, of course, won the Stanley Cup in 2019. The Vegas Golden Knights, they were the finalists in 2018. And then the Colorado Avalanche, who are one of the fastest rising teams in the league. They're, uh, all three of those are certainly among the top Stanley Cup contenders. But then you have a drop off from there. You have a couple mediocre teams in the Arizona Coyotes and Minnesota Wild. And then you have the three California teams, LA, San Jose, and Anaheim, who all were very, very bad last season. Yeah, I... I love Vegas this year. I, I mean, I feel like I like them a lot every year just because it's Vegas and they formed just a few years ago and they made it all of his Stanley Cups. So it's an easy bandwagon team to root for. But I think I think Vegas is going to be one of the teams remain one of the last few teams remaining and going to I think they're going to go deep in the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, not only do they have already a great great offensive uh pieces uh scoring pieces in Marcia so and Pacioretty and William Carlson but they also added Alex Petrangelo who was the captain of the St. Louis Blues and he moves on and goes to a already loaded Vegas team and they have great goaltending and Reimer and and Mark Andre Fleury and so I think they're loaded at every position and I I like them a lot this year yeah, I, I've also been really high on Vegas for the past few seasons, and I'm I'm still high on them. I think the Petrangelo signing is huge for them. It's going to be a tough competition with Colorado and St. Louis, and I think it's fun that you're going to have St. Louis and Vegas, you know, with yeah. Petrangelo, you know, getting to play against his former team. And uh, apparently, like the the Blues wanted to be in the West Division, the Stars wanted to be in the Central, and geographically, maybe it made more sense to swap them. But I I do think that it, it's going to be fun seeing those three teams kind of compete against each other. Yeah. It- and what's crazy is that even though I talk just a lot about Vegas, they're not even the Stanley Cup favorites, and and they're not even the favorites in that division because Colorado, Colorado Avalanche are, they they were one goal away, not even one game, one goal away from advancing to the West Finals last year, and who knows what would have happened versus Vegas. And I think Nate Mc, Nathan McKinnon's a stud, and they they've he's got really good, great uh linemen and Landeskog and Rantanen and. I think they're also going to be in the mix as well late in the postseason. Yeah, and Kale, Kale Lu- McCarr is he's he's young. I think last year was his rookie season. He's one of the best defenders in the league already. Uh, Colorado certainly a team to watch out for this year. Yeah, and then like you said with St. Louis, I I know they won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago, so maybe there's a little bit of a hangover like dating back to that year, and they kind of showed that in the bubble. Yeah, but, but they, they were, weren't they like I know you said the Bruins won the Presidents Trophy. The the Blues had the best record in the West before the yeah. The so I was so that's paused. yeah. So they'll be in the mix. I I do think I I think the Petrangelo losing him is gonna hurt them a little bit. But adding Krug uh, will help their power play a lot. And they also didn't have Tarasenko for a good chunk of last year because he he had shoulder injury and he's actually still has I think shoulder issues right now and. Uh, I, I I like Shen and O'Reilly. I think 
both those guys are really good as well. Uh, so St. Louis should also be in the next. I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit higher on Vegas and Colorado, but I still think St. Louis, like you said, should should still be up there. So I guess focusing on those California teams, we've been used to seeing San Jose, L.A., and Anaheim in the playoffs year after year. The Kings won two Stanley Cups early in the decade. The Sharks lost the Stanley Cup Finals in 2016. Um, I know the Sharks were hammered by injuries last year, and uh, Anaheim and L.A. are two teams that are kind of maybe maybe uh, less less behind them. Uh, they are teams that we were more we were less surprised, I guess, that they struggled last year. I think can any of those teams reasonably kind of get themselves back to where we had used to been seeing, or should we expect those three to be at the bottom of the division? Uh, if I had to, I, I well, I would expect all three of them to be on the lower end, but if I had to pick one, I guess I would go with the sharks just because uh, Carlson and Burns are two of the best, best defensemen in the league, but they're also trending in the wrong direction given their age and injury and injuries. And that kind of showed in the, playoffs a couple years ago I remember when uh it was Sharks Blues I remember thinking I wanted the to see the the Blues but then all of a sudden when as the series went on I I would rather have seen the Sharks because they were just rattled with injuries everywhere and so they're a very injury prone team even even though they have a lot of talent a top end talent so I don't know yeah I, I I'm not super confident in any of them but if I had to pick I guess I'll go with the Sharks yeah I I was very much expecting the Sharks to win the Stanley Cup in 2019 as the playoffs started to unfold. And uh, I certainly did not see their their uh, horrendous 2019-20 season playing out the way it did. Um, so it, I I would think that they'd be the team, but like you said, you know, those age and injuries are, are catching up to them. So um, it would certainly be a tall task, especially with Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas frontlining that division. All right, so finally, the North Division, all the Canadian teams. A Canadian team hasn't won the Stanley Cup since 1993. They guaranteed at least one team in the Final Four. Uh, is this the year that maybe we finally see someone? Is this maybe the year that Toronto finally advances deep into the playoffs? Like, what can we expect from this division? I feel like there's just a lot of... I, 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 there's going to be like a lot of Canadian bias towards this take, uh, especially since there are a couple of teams I don't like. Or, or just hate as a Bruins fan, but I, I feel like there's just a lot of disappointing teams in this division with top end top, like very top heavy teams. Like look at the Oilers, where they have McDavid and Drysital, but then after that, it's 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 a big drop off after those two in terms of talent. And then Maple Leafs, they have so much money to going towards Matthews, Tavares, and Marner, where they can't. They can't really do much in terms of goaltending and uh, defensive play. So, and then uh, the Winnipeg Jets—that's another team that has a lot of talent, but they continue to disappoint. And they even—they lost to the—I remember they lost to the Golden Knights in the playoffs a few years ago when they were one series away from the Stanley Cup, and they haven't really done much since. And <laughs> I don't—I don't even know what to think of much of the other teams in the in the division. I—I'm just. I don't have super high hopes in terms of Stanley Cup uh, aspirations for any of them, to be honest. This is a division where it feels like one of those teams that has constantly, you know, had these these disappointments, whether it's in the regular season or getting to the playoffs and just flaming out there. 
you know, speaking of flaming, the the Calgary Flames are another team right. where it's like they're they're kind of, you know, they're 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 usually they've been in the running the past few years, but they haven't really uh, done much in the postseason. Uh, I think that this is uh, an opportunity for one of these teams. But I really wouldn't be surprised if maybe a team like the Vancouver Canucks or the Montreal Canadiens, who are they're a younger team, but they had a lot of success in the bubble, if they can kind of take advantage of that and keep that momentum going and you know find themselves advancing uh, deep into the playoffs, you know, after having a, a strong regular season. So uh, with that, let's kind of get into to our predictions. So one team for each division is going to advance to the final four. Let's, uh, let's kind of go around the, the horn with those start with the, um, East division. I'll go with the capitals. I, 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 I like the Bruins and I think they can make the playoffs and everything, but I, I feel like their Stanley cup window is short. It's just super, it's small or it might be even over at this point. And I I think they'll do well in the regular season, but I I think there are too many holes, uh, especially defensively on their roster. That I mean, that, I know Chara is old and and was and slow at the at, in the bubble last year, and it was it was probably time to move on. But at the same time, they're, they're I don't I don't trust their young defensive prospects uh, to be NHL ready. And then for the Penguins, like I said, even though Crosby and Malkin are great, I. I feel like they're just going to continue to trend a little bit down, not not all the way down, but uh, I think the Capitals uh, with Ovechkin, uh, Backstrom, and and Carlson, and uh, and who knows what uh, their goaltending situation is. I, I know they lost Holpe, but Lundqvist is back. But then he's also having some issues. He has heart conditions. He's not going to play this year. Yeah, uh, but they do have a young prospect and Ilya Samsonov. So I. That's supposed to be really good. So, and then Oshie is great as well. So I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll go with the Capitals uh, in this division. Yeah. So I, I have faith in the Penguins' offense beyond just Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. They, you know, Jake Gensel missed most of last season, but he, he's been an awesome scorer uh, when he's healthy. Jason Zucker, who was acquired from the Minnesota Wild at last year's trade deadline, came in and he had an immediate impact. Kasperi Kapanen. The uh, he's back in Pittsburgh after they they traded him back in 2015 for Phil Kessel. He cost the first round pick, so I hope that he can come in and provide a lot of offense to that team. The defensive side is something that's still a concern to me, even though Jack Johnson is gone. Uh, Mike Matheson, you're kind of banking on him coming in and being, uh, you know, kind of like re reigniting his career. Chris Letang is getting older, so I I don't know. I'm I'm like you. I'm hopeful that the Penguins can make the playoffs, but I am also going to pick the Capitals. I think that replacing Todd Reardon, head coach, with uh, Peter Laviolette, is going to be a uh, a big upgrade for Washington, and I think in the end that they're going to survive this fit difficult division. All right, so let's move on to the Central Division. Uh. I know I said that the Lightning might have some trouble without Kucherov, but I, I still think they're that talented uh, of a roster where I think they'll they'll actually win the division still. Because even without Kucherov, I think it's huge that they get Stamkos back, and Victor Hedman's the best defenseman in the NHL, and I think Vasilevsky might be the best goalie in the NHL as well. And uh, Braden Point was. Uh, 
just as deserving of a Conn Smythe winner as Victor Hedman. I would have picked Hedman, but I think Point, Braden Point was just amazing. And then uh, Andre Pallott as well as a good lineman. Uh, winger as well and I just think I just think the Lightning have that much talent where even losing Kucherov for most if not the entire season they'll still be able to pull out uh, uh, out of the central so it, it kind of feels crazy to not pick Tampa after what we finally saw them do in the bubble and break through and win a Stanley Cup but um, I'm, I'm gonna do it I Last season, I was really high on the Nashville Predators. I don't know if it's deserving to still be high on them, but I'm going to you know, take a chance and say that Nashville puts it all together this season and uh, they, they win the Central. And uh, they make it uh, further in the playoffs than they have in any season since losing to the Penguins in the 2017 Stanley Cup Finals. Okay, so the West Division. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Vegas. They're loaded everywhere and i think i i think i accidentally said rhymer i meant uh robin laner yeah robin james rhymer is the goalie who blew it with toronto uh in that series versus the bruins uh but yeah i think i think they're loaded everywhere so vegas yeah i was like it's not rhymer but i don't know who to correct you with so i'm glad that you thought of it um i'm also taking vegas in this one i wouldn't be surprised if one of colorado or st louis ends up with the most points but i think in the end uh, vegas is going to be good enough to make the playoffs and they're going to be the team that ultimately advances out of the west so finally the canadian division the north man i don't (laughs) i don't love any of these teams but if i had to pick uh I guess I'll go with the Oilers and hope McDavid and Drysaddle can be that good of a of a of a duo and carry them to uh, out of the North Division. Yeah, so I kind of alluded to this one earlier. I don't love any of those teams that you would think you know the the best ones here. I'm going to go with uh, one of the upstart teams and take the Vancouver Canucks to uh, advance to you- the Final Four. You could make a case for any of them. I honestly, I honestly think so. Just because I yeah, think I, mean, I think <laughs> this might be the most wide open division. Yeah, I and that's it. the more I think about it, this one honestly might be, and it it's one where it feels like it's wide open, but for the wrong reasons. That <laughs> these teams like there's more going against a lot of these teams than going for them. Uh, so that's kind of why I'm taking a team that I think is more of a surprise upstart team than one of those teams that you think is all the talent and that continuously flames out. So. Um, I guess with the final four, you know, how do you see things playing out from there? I'll say it's a repeat of the 2018 Cup, where it's Vegas and Washington again. But do you want me to say the winner too? As yeah, well? yeah. I, I'll say Vegas uh, gets re- quote unquote revenge on Washington, and they win the cup this time. So I also like Vegas to be in the final. Um, I've kind of been back and forth on Washington and Nashville. I guess just to be different, I'm going to say Nashville advances, and uh, either way, the Golden Knights win. All right, so that was our NHL 2021 season preview. Maybe we'll talk a little hockey sometime before the playoffs, but uh, it's certainly not uh, one of our most popular sports here. So Let's um, hope we're not talking about it in terms of a shutdown. And I know. We're going to talk about it in terms of uh, – fun playoff uh matchups <laughs> yeah hey now that the Steelers are out of it I'm all in on the Penguins like it's hockey season for me so I'm, I'm hopeful that uh things go well and that the the season is able to go on without too many problems yeah now that the for me in terms the Patriots are obviously 
were obviously terrible this year, and the Celtics are, have been great, but they have COVID issues, and I have no faith in the Red Sox uh, handling uh, <laughs> any sort of front office situation or stuff on the field. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm sort of uh, all in on the Bruins, but we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's wrap things up, and uh, we'll get to our top five. So we had that big uh, NFL game broadcast on Nickelodeon, and that uh, definitely got a lot of people going back to the, the childhood memories and thinking of some of their favorite Nick shows growing up. So, uh, you know, in honor of that NFL broadcast, we will count down our favorite Nickelodeon shows in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So I guess before we get into this, let's just kind of make it clear that we're doing a combination of both your your Nick cartoons as well as your live action shows. Although I did say to you when we were uh, coming up with this idea that I almost wish we'd done two separate lists because it's so hard to narrow this one down to just five shows. Uh, But Brian, I'll let you get started with this one. All right, so for my number five, and I will fully admit, this is a kind of a girly choice, even though uh, I'm a guy. But I, as a guy, I actually genuinely did like this show. And uh, my number five choice was Zoe 101. Uh, I I was a huge fan of the show, and I liked all the characters, uh, especially Chase, Michael, and Logan. Uh, as, as a kid watching the show at, what, 10 or 11 years old, I had, like, sort of aspirations of going going to a high school or a college like that where it's it's sunshine LA sunshine every single day and it looked like the coolest place on earth to go to uh PCA, PCA as like yeah, the, Pacific, yeah Coast Pacific Coastal Academy. Academy yeah which I think was Pepperdine University yep uh in in real life but I mean either way it, I love the show I love the, all the characters and it looked like the coolest place uh, on earth to go to school at and uh i love all the storylines of all the episodes as well and uh i i i needed to i feel like i needed to put it in my top five so i put it at number five i'm actually surprised that it's as low as it is because i know you're such a huge zoe 101 fan i was thinking this would be much higher in your list and uh you did make a comment about like this being a girly show i i disagree with that i think that this is a show that was targeted just at the general teenage audience and i do think kind of what you're going at is something where i was kind of having those same thoughts about my number five it's because the lead cast are girls but i don't think that uh that that's a way to look at this at all. I think that plenty of guys love Zoe 101 and I yeah, but maybe, that... maybe, maybe not a lot of guys would admit that, but I do. I mean, I don't know. I had no issue saying that I was a Zoe 101 fan and I have no issue saying that my number five, I'm a fan of iCarly. And, uh, yeah, of course, Carly and Sam, the two main characters on, on the TV show, you have Freddie, the, the camera guy behind the scenes. They're the, they're the three big ones, the three friends. But uh, I think the big thing for me with iCarly is a lot of the side characters just have always stood out to me as just hilarious, like crazy people. Um, Carly's brother, Spencer, he's he's very different than the crazy Steve character that Jerry Trainer played in Drake and Josh, but he's still a weird guy. He's, he's a, the fun, artistic, like constantly doing these like weird uh, things in the apartment, like the, his weird, uh, I don't know, sculptures and stuff. 
Um, so I, I was a huge fan of Spencer in this. You got to kind of see a different side of Jerry Trainer, where he's not just acting like this crazy wild idiot that he wasn't Drake and Josh actually has some uh, depth to him as an actor. And uh, one of my favorite characters in the show is Gibby. <laughs> he just constantly has his, his shirt off. He just has like the fun stuff, like he walks in the room, Gibby, and everyone's constantly like yelling at him. But um, I think for whatever he, re- he has a lot for, of fun to it. Yeah, and for whatever reason, he had a uh, is Emily R- R- Rajkowski. Yeah, as he his, was girlfriend his girlfriend on the show. On the show, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is, is... You know, kind of incredible. Like thinking back on that, um, just knowing where she's gone to this point in her life. Um, and then one other character that I really love is Tebow, who's the uh, is the manager of the smoothie place that they always go to. He's always walking around trying to sell like different food on a stick. Um, I I love when he's like selling the donuts on a stick, and he like puts them not going through the middle. He puts yeah, it. He just doesn't. He doesn't even put it side. in the right. Yeah, he puts it on the side. Yeah, yeah and they're like, uh, I, I think Freddie's like, why wouldn't you just put it? in the middle you could put more on he's like well, this is embarrassing <laughs> like why is it back? <laughs> i do remember uh that. yeah he's there's just like a lot of funny ones like their, their teacher who's like obsessed with randy jackson just has a shine or shrine of randy jackson like the American i remember Idol that episode host. yeah I, I didn't watch i didn't watch i carly from start to finish or anything but i i did watch some episodes in the, the first couple of seasons i do remember the randy jackson one specifically where they're in the closet and and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they turn on the lights, and the the crazy mean teacher has all this Randy Jackson stuff in her closet. I remember the one that sticks out to me was the one where I think it was like their fiftieth webcast or whatever, and they were in detention. Oh and, yeah, and, yep. And, and the vice principal, or or I think it was the vice principal, who was like really mean, and yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, it was the vice principal. And whenever he would leave, they would do the webcast in the <laughs> during detention and. And then apparently the principal was a fan of the show, and he came in mid-show and and uh, and helped them, which was kind of cool. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that the uh, vice principal kept leaving the room to go watch the Geometry Channel. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) just like silly things. Like whereas, like as a kid, like that that's like the funniest joke you've ever heard. Um, So yeah, I mean number five, iCarly. And uh, it, it was tough to pick that one over some other shows. I do think we'll have to go to honorable mentions at the end, but let's continue with our list in year number four. Yeah, so for my number four, I went with Hey Arnold, who is uh, the cartoon football head character. Uh, he was a elementary school kid that lived with his grandparents uh, in a boarding house. And he had a, the coolest room imaginable where uh, he'd be laying on his bed, but it'd be this, uh, you could see this giant room and you can see the sky and everything. And, uh, he had great neighbors as well in the show, uh, and Mr. Hun and Oscar Kakashka. Uh, and, and I also love the other characters as well with, uh, his friends, Gerald, of course, and, uh, Helga who, uh, secretly had a crush on him and, and then also stinky Pete and, uh, and, and just a, just a lot, great show and a lot of great storylines. And I also have a, a, I don't have it on course right now, but I have I bought I remember I bought this Hey Arnold shirt years ago and with Her, uh, Arnold and Gerald doing their cool handshake and it's one of my favorite T-shirts that one of the best the best thirty dollars I think I've ever spent in my life. So uh, love Hey Arnold as a kid watching it 
every day before school and love I, I I would watch it if we're on right now. So yeah, Hey Arnold is on my four. Yeah, I've I've always loved Hey Arnold. I, I think that that's that's a show where it's not even just like a silly Nicktoon, like you know, like your other cartoons that have been on the show. Like they definitely do kind of get into some like real real topics and real things that like kids can kind of learn from it. Um, I think that Hey Arnold is a, a really fun show. It's one that I I enjoyed watching even in high school and uh it's it's a tough one to leave off my list. I'll say that it's it's not on mine, but it certainly would have made my top five if we just did cartoons. Also, I meant to say Stinky Peterson, not Stinky Stinky Pete's the <laughs> Toy Story Two yeah. character. Stinky Peterson. Uh, <laughs> um. So my number four is the Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. So this one started out as a movie, which was phenomenal, and then the uh, the show that came out of it uh, continued to be an awesome version of uh jimmy neutron and his uh his friends carl weezer shane Estevez, sheen estevez and of course you got cindy libby and then my personal favorite character his dad hugh neutron he was actually you know way back on the ben and Corey podcast we did top five tv dads and he was my number five and uh i, I i've just always loved jimmy neutron i think that's a show where um to me it's like you know, there, there's certainly a lot of others that were maybe the more more popular, more famous ones, but um, I, I always stuck with me for whatever reason. Um, I I think that my favorite episodes that I like, if I had to go back and choose any, were um, it was basically like a TV movie special. It was really branded as the final three episodes of season two, but that was win, lose, and kaboom. So that was when. They ended up on the intergalactic game show hosted by Meldar, Meldar Prime, who was voiced by Tim Allen. Tim and, Allen, uh, right. Yeah. I thought that was a ton of fun. That was one where Hugh Neutron ends up saving the day because he watched, he says the whole he time watched watching this, Yeah, he watched the TV. game show while all the parents were trying to build the <laughs> the machine. And then when they, yeah. once they got started running, Hugh Neutron, yeah, he his nachos go in the, <laughs> the machine. He en- ends up going after it. And he's the uh, only one that ends up going on the show and- um, and helping Jimmy. Yeah, and he ends up saving planet Earth in the end because they, they win because of that. Uh, I love the the Survivor references and the scene where they have to vote someone out. And uh, another fun character, kind of like the Gibby of this show, Bowlby votes for himself. Uh, yeah, he's he's always uh, been a, a fun, fun addition to that show when they brought him in. So, yeah, to me, Jimmy Neutron, my number four. And I, mean, I guess we could just jump right into your number three because it's the same. Yeah, show. my number three is a really unique choice. It's uh, this show called The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron. You might have heard of it. You might have actually just talked about it. Uh, yeah, I love Jimmy Neutron. Uh, it might not be my number one, but it's a, def- a lot of the episodes stick with me. I love that choice for a favorite episode, even though it's a a unique one where it's a lot longer than an actual. Yeah, a I mean, episode, it's kind of cheating because it is like a TV right. movie special. But, but I do. I do like that choice a lot, and uh, I I love all the characters. I would say Sheen's my favorite. I love I love the concept that his name is Sheen Estevez. Yeah, <laughs> where it, where it's, it's after like Mar- Charlie Martin Sheen, and, Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Like his yeah. name is Sheen Estevez. Like that's just uh, great. And love Carl Weezer and uh, yeah, Libby and Cindy were great characters as well. Uh, and then and Miss Fell and uh, Sam, that the guy who worked at the ice cream parlor, yeah. the candy uh, bar. Yeah. Right, yeah, and oh, and Hugh and and his parents as well, especially Hugh. He he was the man. Yeah, loves and, loves ducks, loves pie. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. Most fun loving guy ever. And I, I, if I had to pick a favorite episode, I'd probably go with the one where they're, uh, Jimmy Sheen and Carl are, are doing a sleepover and Jimmy Neutron invents this machine where it's a, like a sleep slumber party machine where it gets some uh, pillows and pizza and all these other things and, and scary stories. And then all of a sudden Carl starts messing around with it and uh, and the machine brings out these flying <laughs> slice giant slices of flying pizza ghosts and and chases them around the house and um so that's one that's one episode of six they're like pretty much all of them do but yeah i agree it's a great show and uh i miss it yep yeah that's uh that's uh, that was always one of my favorites as a kid so that and that's certainly a show where i feel like i could go back and watch it and still enjoy it um, so my number three is Ned's Classified School Survival Guide. And uh, this, this is one where, like, I I love this show so much. I love, like, all the different things that, like, they would do in, in uh, school. And, like, there were actually, like, some legitimate good tips that I, I know a lot of people got out of this one. Um, I think Ned, Moe's, and Cookie were one of the better trios of any kids TV show we saw in terms of like them being the leads. And uh, this is one where there are just so many like fun characters, like a lot of really great teachers and like different adults in this one that I I think just made the show so great. Every, every school, whether it's elementary, middle or high school, every school needs to have a cool janitor like Gordy. Yes. And just, and just relates to all the kids and, and, and putting the kids first. I, I think he was the coolest coolest janitor and he he was one of my favorites in that show and i'll admit i don't have my top five but if we did top six i'd probably have ned's declassified on it and uh so i was i was a fan of the show as well and i yeah i agree that um i agree that ned gave out a lot of great great tips uh for whatever grade he was in i feel like i could relate to him a lot because i wasn't the best student but i wasn't the worst mm-hmm. one either and i i feel like ned bigby was a b minus Kind of B minus to C kind of <laughs> yeah. student, yeah. Uh, so I I felt like I could relate to him a lot, especially in middle school. So yeah, I I was a fan of it as well. Yeah, I always love the concept of them making a more like you know teenage adultish type show with like high school for this. But I think it was appropriate that they kind of kept it just as a, the middle school like kids type show. Um, but yeah, Ned, Ned's Classified School Survival Guide was always one of my, my favorite shows and uh, absolutely was going to make my top five. Um, so, oh yeah, cut, yeah. Cut so this, I mean, yeah, you're uh, right. Let's uh, let's go into this. At this point, uh, we have our our top two, and uh, I I kind of have a good idea of where your list is going to be. A lot of the times, this is one where I knew we're going to end up having the same one and two, but in reverse order. So let's uh let's kind of jump right into it. So your number two, Drake and Josh, my number one, SpongeBob SquarePants, and then your number one, SpongeBob or SquarePants. My, and number, my number one is Drake and Josh. So let, let's right. just talk about both these shows together and just how great they are because I don't know about you, I probably could have just made this one A and one B in terms of best Nick yeah, and best I, live action. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit, yeah, I, I could have made it one A and one B. The only reason why I put SpongeBob one is because I feel like I can quote it a lot better. I if you if you know me, you know that I probably can quote it better than any like anything like any movie or any show on earth. Like, and I I haven't I actually haven't watched an episode of SpongeBob. Believe it or not, I haven't watched one in probably years. But yeah, it's, it's still, probably been a long time. I I can still quote it like I watched it yesterday because I've watched 
I've seen, sp- and it's the one thing I will I will say though that Drake and Josh did better than SpongeBob is that Drake and Josh stopped when they should have. Like, they stopped in their prime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. SpongeBob, after season three or four or whatever, they kept going with this crap, and it was unwatchable, just unwatchable stuff. But the first three seasons, golden, golden comedy, and I feel like even though. Uh, I haven't watched in forever. I feel like a lot of the jokes are actually funnier when you're older rather than younger. Yeah, well, because that- there was a lot of like adult theme stuff in SpongeBob, and I, I don't know if it's true. I had heard that it was originally supposed to be for Adult Swim. I've heard that rumor too. I don't know if I believe it or not, but. Yeah, but I mean, I think the reason why SpongeBob had such a downfall after the movie is because they stopped having that kind of like older type theme to it you know of course steven hillenberg not being involved anymore but i I think that was just a big part of it just became much more childish like younger type audience that they were aiming for uh but you know the first what three four seasons whatever it is of spongebob are absolutely the best best cartoon out there uh to me i put drake and josh number one though just because i think part of it is because it's the live action stuff for me i just going through it i realized that i like the live action shows a lot more than the cartoons maybe i was just older when i was watching a lot of those uh, you know just into middle school even into to the beginning of high school whereas the, the cartoons they started to kind of die off when we were much younger uh, but I mean, they, these are both fantastic shows. I think you know we we did our top five SpongeBob episodes with Ben. Um, I think it was in November in honor of the 15th anniversary. So November 2019 in honor of the 15th anniversary of SpongeBob movie. If you want to go back and listen to that one, uh, just to, to hear some of our our favorites. Uh, I think that in terms of Drake and Josh, though, uh, it, it's it, we I could do a top five Drake and Josh episode could, countdown prob- if I really wanted to. Yeah, um, I could probably. I could probably do one too. Like not write the second course. No, but like my my list. my number one though that I I always keep going back to. I think this is one where I laughed the hardest at this than I did at any other Drake and Josh episode the first time I saw it, and that was when um the uh they were having the concert outdoors, but it was pouring, so they all got locked inside Drake and Josh's parents' house. And I think the the reason why I love this one so much is because of Crazy Steve in this one, just acting like a complete weirdo. Didn't you want to watch and, uh, Dora? Yeah, he was like watching Dora and like <laughs> he starts freaking out when uh I think it was is it a Craig or Eric was pumping the the TV because they lost power and he's like just freaking out about the show. Um and I, I think that that was just like one of the funniest things I had seen when I was 10, 11 years old, whatever it was when it came out. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of goes back to that Carly thing is part of the reason why I love iCarly so much is because of, you know, crazy Steve and, you know, playing on a bigger role in that <laughs> Jerry Trainer, the actor. I, so. I remember I actually vaguely remember this now. He's in the corner and, and Dora's on he's and he's like, uh, you are you're the one with the map. Don't ask me. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's saying it's with, he's so serious about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's like as they're singing, like where are we going? Like that's when they he like stops. He's like, where are they going? We're not gonna know now. Like it, it was just ah, just incredible. My, my, my favorite one is easily uh, the the one where. Drake and Josh have fake IDs, and they go oh, yeah. as uh, Jefferson Steel Flex, Flex, and Alvin <laughs> Yakatori. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, their parents uh, get their get Drake and Josh, quote unquote, arrested, and t- just to 
go to this training program to know what it's like to be arrested and going to jail and everything. And then all of a sudden, an actual criminal steals the cop car with them in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and then they say, oh, yeah, we were just uh, going to kidnap the governor. <laughs> and then he gets his own crew to do this. And then one one of the guys in the crew is like, are, are we doing this for real? I, I left in the middle of American Idol to do this. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, I I love that episode where uh, just looking back from like the first episode to 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 like that that one where the plots were so simple for like the first season or two, but then to have that kind of plot for an episode is is insane. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So they the, quit. The they quit. Th- they they stopped in their prime when they yeah. They, they only did three seasons. They had a, a few like movies like Drake and Josh go to Hollywood. Phenomenal. That um, I loved. I hated the Christmas one though. That was yeah, the cringy. Christmas one they did like with with Kimbo Slice in it. Like that that wasn't all that great. No. Uh, but at, at the same time, it's kind of fun that they had they did that because it, I think it was like two years after Drake and Josh had ended. So yeah. it was kind of cool to have it brought back for at least one thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I agree. Drake and Josh Go Hollywood was a was a good one. Yeah, and I guess. Um, it, we had talked about this, like in terms of honorable mentions, just because we, we love Nickelodeon. There's so many other shows that we could have done. I think the first one that comes to mind to me, just given that we're on the topic of Drake and Josh is the Amanda show. Uh, that was a show that of course, Drake and Josh got famous from. Uh, I, I think the Amanda show was hilarious and, you know, bring on the dancing lobsters and uh, just all the other sketch stuff that they did, like totally Kyle, um, the, the, the I, hillbilly uh- ones. Uh, for my honorable mentions, I liked, like I said, Nezzy Classified would have been on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cat Dog, Doug, or, or a couple cartoons I liked. Uh, I wasn't not really of, a fan of either of those. And for me, yeah, like I, I think that a lot see, of the wanna, Nicktoons were. I didn't want to have them that high, time. but I I did like them. Uh, Rocket Power, I liked. Yeah, Rocket uh, Power is a good one as well. I had that. Like that probably would have been my number five if we just did cartoons, uh, mm-hmm. because I would have had Hey Arnold in my top five as well. Yeah. Um. um I'm drawing blanks on others, but yeah, I mean, I guess similar to the Amanda show, all that, which we had kind of talked about that one earlier. And that basically like SNL for kids is kind of how I would describe that. Um, fairly odd parents. Oh yeah. I like, I like fairly odd parents. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the Jimmy Timmy power hour that they did with Jimmy Neutron. That's probably my favorite fairly odd parents episode because Jimmy Neutron's involved. Yeah. Yeah. And then another one that like I considered putting above, iCarly but ultimately I was like ah, I don't know about this uh, but I, I would still certainly put it up there for one of the better live action ones is Victorious I didn't watch Victorious so I, I have no yeah opinion. I kind of that was one where it was like kind of later for us whereas like that that one came out after I, I think iCarly was starting to wrap up it was certainly after Drake and Josh like we were at the point where like we were like starting like getting into high school by the time that came out um, that, that was a show that Ariana Grande got famous off of so uh-huh. I mean, I mean, once we got to high school, the the news shows it it, it kind of just. I mean, and part of that's probably because of age, but I feel like yeah, that's also that's the thing. Is, went, I don't know. That's when it started trending down. Enjoy some of these shows, yeah. and I started watching them now. It's like, I, like if I feel like I would still enjoy it, even if those shows, the shows that we liked, we, that we talked about, even if they started later, it, when Drake we were and in like middle school or sure. high school, I feel like I'd still enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of those any... shows like iCarly, Victorious, um, yeah. I, I don't know if I would have felt the same way about them if I was like just a little bit older. So Right. Um, but yeah, that'll wrap things up for today's episode. Uh, I think it was a fun way to end it, especially with the way it started for me talking about the Steelers. So uh, we'll be back again next week. Talk 
divisional round. We'll break down what happens in those big games. Can Aaron Rodgers and uh, Drew Brees and Tom Brady, can at least one of them guide their team to uh, potentially their final ever NFC Championship game? What's going to happen on the AFC side with the young quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, uh, Josh Allen, and then, of course, Patrick Mahomes. So uh, we'll have plenty more to talk about then. So with that, uh, Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone.